Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. You look to your friends. There's only a couple guys in the whole world that make me love pro wrestling, and you're one of them. You know all the bad shit you've heard about us? It's all true. But another thing that's true is we love professional wrestling, and that's why we're here. I'm not sports entertainment anymore. Talk to them, kid. This is our new beginning, and it starts tonight. A new day is dawning for DX. Welcome everybody to Xbox 12360. Yeah. Allow myself to introduce myself. <laughs> I am Xbox, Sean Waltman, your host. That was my Austin Powers. Some people probably didn't get that, but I don't care. Anyways. Okay, Jimbo, moving on up. Yeah, man. Next to me, I'm, I'm here off, at the table. I'm off the couch. I'm on the yeah. panel now. Hello. And everybody. moving on inside, we have Anissa. Hi. Yes. Welcome, Anissa. Hi. How are Mark, you? you're still in the booth. That's me in the booth. Nice. Yeah. Nailed it. Had a great weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you were there. Yeah, we were all there, actually. Yeah. We were yeah, all at Friday. Pacific Coast Wrestling on yeah. Friday to watch uh, MVP versus RVD. Yeah. Saw Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, great to see Kevin. I sat and talked to Kevin for hours. Yeah, it was amazing to me to just be backstage and see you, Kevin Sullivan, RVD, and MVP all just powwowing. How yeah. cool that was. Yeah, it was. And earlier in the day to see Kevin Sullivan going over matches with people and how like amazing that is. Yeah. And it, it was, I'll tell you a real quick story about that because uh, the, the guy that owns, owns the company or the, mm-hmm. the promoter, Joey, yeah, uh, Almighty Sheik. Sorry, known for a long time. Hadn't seen him in forever, and he actually uh, sent me a, a text uh, earlier in the week, and you know, invited me out to the show. So I was happy to accept because I wanted to see. You know, MVP's a really good friend of mine, and haven't I love Kevin Sullivan? You know, from from the time I grew up watching him as the devil. Yeah, you know, and oh. um, and then getting to work with him as the booker in WCW for most of the NWO stuff. So, um, Bob, every time I get a chance to sit down and bullshit with Kevin, it's, it's, it's amazing for me. Yeah. And, uh, and Kevin, uh, well, they came up to me, um, Joey and some, and I forget who else. And they were telling me, geez, should, should John Morrison come out before the match starts or after, you know, after the, the match finishes to challenge the winner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, like, initial react like, they were asking me, they said, because well, Kevin thinks they should do it beforehand. And anyways, I don't want to get, I'm already no, too talk much about of the story, it. but uh, my my initial uh, response was opposite of Sullivan's. And then, and, and that's what happens sometimes when somebody asks you a, a a serious question, and you try to answer it too quick without sitting and thinking about it. After I sat and thought about it, 
Kevin Sullivan is 100% right and how uh, John Morrison came out before the match started. And it, it worked out much better. Yeah. You know, to talk about how he was going to be the challenger for the PCW title against Rob Van Dam at the next show. Yeah. yeah. I think it really helped sell tickets for the next yeah. show. Because yeah. everyone's waiting for this main event. They don't know where it's yes. going next. And then John Morrison's music mm-hmm. hits, and everyone's like, whoa, what other surprises is this company going to sure. throw at us? And 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 Kevin's uh, thought process was a couple of things. You know, uh, sending him out before makes those guys work harder. And it does. It, you know, um, well, it wouldn't me anyhow. And it did those guys because they, they had a really good match. Um, plus, I, you know, some people might leave. Because the shows go on a long time, and mm-hmm. even though a match would be really good main event, you know some people are going to leave. Yeah, sometimes, and you know Kevin was just concerned that maybe, you know, that might happen, and not everyone will see the the Morrison stuff. So, uh, anyways, it worked out great, and and there was some really good stuff on the show. The ring ropes broke though. Second, was it the second Willie match? Mack. Willie Mack yeah. and Keith Lee. There was a bottom one. No, it was the second one, and they and they actually. Yeah. The, the middle rope broke, and then they take the bottom one and put it where the uh, second one is. Yeah, that ring crew didn't have a spare rope. Note to oh, ring crew. Yes. Always have a spare rope. No kidding. Yeah. You always have to keep in mind that something like that can happen. Because, you know, I mean, that could have ruined the show. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, look what happened at PWG when the ring broke. Yeah, and that took like an hour to yeah. fix. <laughs> and, and then it, even after it, that. And it drains everyone's sure. energy out. God, I mean, yeah. So, uh who else? Talk about uh, who else was on the show because I'm having to... Flip Gordon, who I had never seen before, but I heard of. He was really good. Pentagon, uh, Phoenix. Uh, they had Pentagon and Phoenix go on first and second. Yeah. Because they had to go to... I want to say they were going to Peru or something. Really? They had a plane to catch. Yeah, because yeah. it was supposed to be Willie on first, and yeah. then they switched some matches around. Right. Um, Extreme Tiger. Yes. Did you work with him in Oh, Mexico? yeah. I knew, I, I've known him for years from AAA. Yep. Yeah. Los Luchas, uh, Brody King, who's a Southern California guy that's starting to get. I like he was, Brody. Yeah. You're like, who's that guy that looks like Tommy Ent? <laughs> yeah, I already know. Like, I, I, I knew him from um, Santino's Championship Wrestling from, oh, from Hollywood. Hollywood. And uh, he had these crazy trunks on that were like all these, this crazy pattern. And I'm like, dude, your tr- you're, you're like crazy trunks are on your body, dude. You're, he's tatted from head to toe. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just wear. Black trunks. Ah, you know it looks crazy wearing some, something other than black trunks. Yeah, I've had a chance to watch Brody King work at the Wrestle Center, the, yeah. the training center for Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. He is something else. He's great. I think he's really good. I mean, he has you know he's still green for, yeah. but I mean he's he's doing well for how long he's been doing it. And, and I like his look. Uh, he's one of the better guys around. You know, uh, who else was on the show? Sammy Callahan was there and Always. taught a seminar. Prior to the show, yeah. that was really good. Always like Sammy. Yeah. He had some great advice, pass along. And it was cool because he had all the students come in for the seminar and he asked them what they wanted to learn and what they wanted to do. He's like, You guys paid your money. I'll go put on my gear and we could wrestle if that's what you want to do. But you all have trainers out here and you all go to wrestling school out here. Take my knowledge and take this advantage of me being here to share my knowledge with you and just ask questions and learn from yeah. me, which is really good. That's how I would do it. Yeah, yeah. Like when I I've only done like two like two what you would call anything like a seminar. One was for the um, oh crap the the hooligans in W uh, in, in UK in the UK. Okay. 
uh, and the other was um, at the Monster Factory in New With Jersey. Matt Riddle. Yeah, Matt Riddle was there. Uh, yeah, we talked yeah, about we talked it. About that. And it was just a tape study where I had a, big, a projector and just, you know, had a projector projecting matches against a wall. <laughs> I would just pick them apart. That's... And that's, yeah, you don't... Don't be silly. You, you don't bring guys in like that and just to have them show you how to do a tackle drop down hip toss. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's it's just silly. So good for, for good for Sammy. Yeah, it was it was a great show. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. PCW is doing great things. They have a very really good foundation, and yeah. that they can only build on top of that, which is great. Yeah. What else is going on, Jimbo? Well, we got some news. If you want to get into some news. Okay, so with WrestleMania approaching this weekend, uh, the WWE tweeted about a prior WrestleMania match between Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy from WrestleMania 25 with the tweet saying, You better believe tables were broken, in all caps, in the battle between the Hardy Boys at the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania. Um, This tweet... A lot of people think are teasing the Hardys' return to the WWE, especially when Matt Hardy uh, quoted it and replied, did someone say broken? Of course people are going to run with something like this, right? Yeah. Oh, this is proof something's going on. They're going to... No, it's not. Not saying that's not going to happen, but that's not proof of it in any way, shape, or form. Haven't you seen them do stuff like this before? Yeah. You know, come on. So, like, I would not let this be any kind of an indication one way or another. In all honesty, I think if the Hardys are going to show up, they're going to show up on Raw and not on Mania. Of course. Because, like, the reset button of, like, yeah, WrestleMania he, ends and now yes. Raw the next night starts the whole next year. Well, I think that's, that's when right. they break them out. Maybe they could do SmackDown, too. Because SmackDown is where they were very the th- Here's the thing. WrestleMania. That's it. That's the end-all, be-all. That's... That's New Year's Eve, okay? Yeah. And Raw the next day, that's that's New Year's Day. That's when, the, that's when the New Year starts. And that's when you bring everyone in. And, I mean, my, okay, SmackDown now is is running fairly even with, with, with Raw, I, in my opinion. So, I mean, they might want to spread it out as far as, like, you know, the guys they, they actually bring in and, and you know, introduce... So, I don't know. It's just, yeah, you're right. It's either going to be Raw or SmackDown. Yeah. Another uh, kind of WrestleMania news. Sheamus last night on Raw setting up for this uh, tag team turmoil ladder match that will happen at Mania. uh, Took a ladder to the face and gashed above his eye open pretty deep. It was gnarly. It took 16 stitches to close this. We had to blur it out hey, because it was pretty we, yeah, why, are we dis- why are we video distorting the... It was graphic, and Mark thought that we should probably blur it out for our shot. viewers. Super, the one up top where they're cleaning it out, they have it, like, gaping like, open. It's yeah. Re- so it's it really like a, gross. Bad. It's like yeah. a big vagina? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I, I don't mean to laugh because... But I think he's going to be okay. Yeah, I think he's going to be okay, stitched up. Is this going to affect his uh, WrestleMania? I don't think so, and I'm sure he'll be a little bit more careful during that match because when you wrestle with stitches, all it takes is like one small thing to reopen. Really right? easy. And, yeah. and these days, if, if if blood, if you know somebody starts bleeding, usually they stop it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Interesting. Well, I, well, at least it's nothing nothing serious. Yeah, and so. it, it happened in Philadelphia, so Tommy Dreamer tweeted, like, uh, you got your color in Philly, kid. You're hardcore, <laughs> which is funny. Okay. Um, that's a bit it for news. Is we have really? – uh, it's not really news, but we were going to talk about this amazing picture you posted of – what crazy shape you're in in your abs, your yeah. eight pack you got working on. That's yeah, just good lighting. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's Sean physically and mentally in the best shape of his life, which you could see. And the replies to this were amazing. All Sean, uh, all Sean's friends from Kevin Nash to Scott Hall, Jim Ross, the Hardys. So many people were so proud of you and how far you've come. And are really happy at the position you're in right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like talking about stuff like this. I, I You know, I just... I am proud of, of, you know, where I am now compared to where I was not that long ago. Um, I'm very grateful. Uh, this is The thing is, is, I have been in this kind of shape, more or less, for, you know, a little bit now. Yeah. It's not like all of a sudden, just overnight... I mean, no. It took me a while to get like it didn't happen overnight. Well, from hanging out with you personally, I've noticed your diet is insane. Yeah. So other than <laughs> other than your dieting, what are you doing to keep the shape? Uh, well, it's I have to I have to tell you it's mainly diet and and the bulletproof the bulletproof diet is is excellent, which is basically a, a it's a paleo diet, but it's it's uh, it's even a little it, it's it's a little bit different. You know, it's even more, uh, how the F do I say this? Anyways, read the book. Yeah. You know, Bulletproof Diet. It's great. Well, what I want want to ask you, Sean, is what do you think of Matt Hardy's nickname for you, the kid of one, two, threes? I love it. (laughs) I love it. I, 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 you know, got blessed the seven deities. (laughs) You know, um... Who are the seven deities? Those are the people that give Matt can, his powers. No, I know, but can we name them? I couldn't. Probably not. <laughs> I wonder if he can. Well, no, I think it's like a Shazam situation where if he says it, he'll take. They'll take away all of his yeah. power. No, I, uh, I'm, I'm blown away that Jim Ross took the time to, you know, but what's he gonna do? Like he can't just sit and. Yeah. I we talked about this last week and. and Jan Hatton, you know, she was still like I think she was going through surgery at the time. Uh, I, I want to be in, you know, downer. Come on, I have to, yeah, I have to take a just moment. Tell Jim Ross that everyone loves you, Jim, and it's. It, I just, oh, I'm, let's just let's just move yeah. on. And I love you, Jim, and our condolences to Jan. And she was an organ donor and people's lives are saved because Jan Ross was an organ donor. So please, you're not going to be doing anything with with them when you're dead anyway. Like, okay, donate your organs. Unless you have some sort of religious beliefs that that stop you from doing that. And I, I respect all that. Otherwise, come on, save some lives, please. Well, on that note, you can go on iTunes, download, rate, and subscribe. Uh, if you're watching us on iTunes, give us a, a like, thumbs up. Uh, be sure to comment. Buy our shirts at Pro Wrestling Tees at Sean Waltman's store, the Xbox 12360 shirts, and we're going to be back with MVP. Yeah, we didn't even tell you that we have MVP as our guest this week because 
Come on, see our pants. <laughs> We're uh, working. We're working through this. All right, Make we'll be right back, everyone, with MVP. What's up, party people? Roxy Stryer here from The Tomorrow Show with Kevin Undergaro. We're your twice-weekly broadcast of One Man's Midlife Crisis and the mad millennials in Star Trek uniforms that follow him. And I'm one of those millennials, Lauren Magrasso here. We've had some amazing guests like Russell Simmons, Ileana Douglas, and Craig Gass. Coolio, right? Christian Blatt in the house to tell you to go to thetomorrowshow.com to check us out. We're live every Monday and Thursday from 10 to midnight Eastern. That's thetomorrowshow.com. Be there, be square, whatever that means. Welcome back to X-Pac 12360. Joining us now, a good friend of mine. Been wanting to get him on the show for a while now. Wanting to go on his show, too. Uh, he has a podcast called the VIP Lounge. Former U.S. heavyweight champion, former tag Japan, champion. Yeah, that. But I was going to say New Japan Pro Wrestling Intercontinental Champion. The first the, ever. That's it. The Ronin MVP. What's up, my friend? Oh man, I'm, this is way past due, man. Way overdue. I was supposed to be on your show a long time ago, and you were supposed to have been on mine for a long time ago. Yeah. Well, I came on. We did a little bit of stuff when when I was up in the Bay Area with you. Yeah, Remember we that? had that little group chat. Yeah, yeah, but no, I, but yeah, you you are a legend in the industry, and well, without question, one of the guys that you know really helped propel the Attitude Era. So you need more than a group session to keep it. You need <laughs> your, your own full episode, man. Oh, thanks, man. Hey, do you remember the first time we met? The very first time yeah. we met was in Mexico City. That's Spain. right. Nightclub. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember what nightclub it was, but I just remember I had heard from uh, you know other friends of mine, whether it was Conan or uh, Ray Mysterio, guys like that, that you were you know one of the good guys, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, and uh, one of us. So uh, uh, it was it was we hit it off right away, man. And, uh, that was funny because I can't remember who it was, but uh, I want to say it was our truth was telling yes. me the same thing, you know, that oh man, well, you guys, well, you guys are gonna hit it off right away, man. Watch, you know, and like sure enough, we did, man. Oh yeah, and uh, I want to say uh, Brian Kendrick was there, Spanky, uh, Jack Swagger. It was a good, it was so, a good crew that so, night. Can, can I tell the story about what we were doing in the club, fucking with the security? Is that allowed? Yeah, please <laughs> do. Yeah. I mean, this is the past. I'm a lot. I'm a. I'm. I'm uh, pretty far away from from that Sean Waltman these days. So I'm. I ain't afraid to talk about anything. Well, well, even before I tell the story, dude, I gotta take my hat off to you for overcoming all the obstacles that you had. You look fucking phenomenal. Oh, thanks, man. And to know where you've been, to see where you are. Dude, I could not be prouder of you. I could not be happier for you, man. So just one foot in front of the other. Keep it moving, baby. You got it, man. Hey, you get sick and tired of living like that eventually, man. I wasn't going to die, so I had to change something. Anyways. Well, what's the saying? You got to be, you got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Amen, man. So anyway, one night we're in Mexico City. First night we met. Yeah. And I don't remember the name of the nightclub either, but I remember... We had some nice little spot near a table, and, you know, we were hanging out, having a great time. And you broke out the pipe with some weed. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, give me that motherfucker. I'll spark it. <laughs> and we were, 
and, and very clandestinely smoking weed in the club. And it's funny because the security, you see them sniffing and you see them on the headphones trying to make their way through the crowd to root it out. They're trying right. to find it. And a couple of times they were standing right by us. Right. And uh, I can't remember, honestly, because we, we drank a lot that night too. I can't remember if it was you or if it was me. But because I, I remember the pipe was between our hands. And one of us, as the security guy went by, just real like stealthily blew a whole plume of smoke right at the back of his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that happening. I just can't remember which one of us did it at that point. <laughs> well, yeah, because I was living in Mexico at the time, so that was kind of my, that was my home base, and so I knew, you know. I was I was pretty familiar with lay of the land down there and uh, wow talk about the wild west man you were down there for a while four right? years four years I was down there yeah no mama's way <laughs> no mama's way <laughs> no mama's way <laughs> oh man that's a long time and to be in Mexico City a gringo in Mexico City yeah hey so uh, you know we never knew each other before that but we come from similar roots, like as far as uh, you're kind of a Malenko guy in a way, aren't you? Dude, uh, I've, I've said in the past that, you know, being from Miami, Florida, um, all of the guys who came up in the South Florida wrestling scene are bastard children of the Malenkos. Yeah, they are. <laughs> you weren't trained by a Malenko, you were trained by someone who was trained by a Malenko. Yeah. And, you know, and that was the group that I came up with. And uh, as a matter of fact, Dave Johnson, who uh, for, for a while wrestled with Tom Nash as the Black Hearts, um, he wrestled later on as the Black Heart. And uh, I mean, I'll never forget. I started with you know, Dave Johnson, like, actually. Right. Know. Or not. He was, I'm, I'm going to tell you, we were at a, a Friday's one night after an indie show. And uh, me and my brother were, were joking around, and Dave Johnson said to my brother, hey, you better be nice to him. He's going to be a big star one day. You'll see. He said, I've only had this feeling about one other person. I've only said this one other time in my life. And it was a skinny kid, this referee kid that used to go to Malenko's. His name was Sean, and he went on to be the one, two, three kid, X-Pac. And I thought, oh, fuck, I'm in good company, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard the story now a few yeah. times, but I, I, I wanted uh, that was it was cool for uh, for you to. I get funny, man, when people put me over, in, you know, in public. I know, like, uh, people might not think that I'm, I'm like that, but I don't know. I just feel funny about that kind of thing. So I'm trying to get used to it, man. Because it happens a lot. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> when you're a legend, that shit kind of happens. No, so, stop. You know, <laughs> oh, oh sucks. You kicking oh, the dust on the floor with so, Willikers. But hey, so but Dave Johnson, a lot of, for people that don't know, and a lot of people don't. He he uh, he started wrestling after he got out of prison. And is that is that uh, is that kind of how you guys gravitated toward each other? Because you had a little something in common. That's exactly how me and Dave hit it off. The uh, the wrestling school that I used to train at had been shut down and uh for a while uh rusty brooks had the only wrestling school in south florida oh yeah so they made a deal where we could go over to rusty's and you know pay him a weekly you know like a, a gym fee kind of to, to train in his ring sure and uh one night i was with dave johnson and the market crashes and we went to denny's to eat after training 
and uh, I just really started hanging out with these dudes. I, I didn't really know them that well yet. Hey, and one of the one of joke. the market crashers is Almighty Sheik, right? Yes, okay. yes, of, of PCW. Yeah, yeah he was Nasdaq back then. <laughs> Joey Machetti. I can't he wait to bring that up to the next show. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, you got to have him on. Oh he yeah, has some stories for you. But uh, anyway, the, we were. Uh, we were sitting in Denny's and Dave made a joke about prison that you had to have been in prison to get the joke. Right. And I laughed and Dave and he said, all right, motherfucker, where were you? Cause there's no, and I saw you, yeah, I was here, I was here. And for whatever reason, Dave just, uh, chose to kind of take me his wing because he said, he remembered clearly when he got out of prison, wrestling saved his life and i have to say it did the same for me because if i hadn't gotten into pro wrestling and had developed such a passion and laser beam focus on being successful in it there's a very strong chance i would have been back in the streets hustling and, and you know that leads to death whether it's in a cell or you know on the street either way right well what made what what made it? What made you that way? That that you were able to focus uh, razor, so razor sharply on this? Was it just the fact that so much of uh, of your of your time had already been spent locked up, and you had a lot of time to? I don't know. I'm I'm trying. I guess yeah, I'm well, asking. I'm answering I mean, a question. I should be asking. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, it's weird. Yeah, you know, I, you have a sense of of wasted years. Right? I mean, I tried to. Take, you know, I spent nine and a half years in the Florida Department Respondents courses. You know, I man, I had a voracious appetite for books. Um, I, I, I wrote articles for, for, for zines and shit. I did everything I could to stimulate my mind as much as possible. Right. I'm on game, and they said, hey, kid, you know, don't serve the time. Make the time serve you. And, you know, that's the problem with our, our modern correction system today is just warehousing. There's no sense of actual correction. Right. And now that you have privatized correction. Don't get so, me you know, started. Uh, okay, yeah, that's another path you can go down. But my point yeah. is, when I got out, uh, I was at work release. I met a correction officer. It was a primetime Daryl D, my man. Yeah. And um, he used to bring uh, videotapes of indie shows or pay-per-views to the work release center for us to watch in the morning, like right before we went out to go to work. So one, man, um, how you guys doing that shit without breaking each other's necks, man? And he uh, said, well, you know, I'm going to start my own independent promotion. I see you out there playing basketball, you know, you're pretty athletic. You know, if you want to learn, I'll teach you. I said, all right, shit, hell yeah, let's do that. And uh, a few months after I got out, he called me, asked me if I still wanted to train. I said, yeah. And my training started in a ring in his sister's backyard. And it was something that I just took to really quick. I mean, just, you know, I grew up in Miami, so I was always watching Gordon Soley and, and, and you know, Florida Championship Wrestling. And it was just something we did. Every Sunday afternoon, me and my cousin Corey were putting each other in the figure four leg lock and right. giving by on the elbow. So um, just, it, I, I got acclimated to pro wrestling very quickly. And... I, I remember one day uh, Rocky Johnson used to come around and train with us, and we went to uh, we went to Monday Night Raw, and I was with uh, Soul Man Alex G, uh, my, my first trainer actually, and uh, I was standing on the side of the stage in the entrance and the pyro, and I heard the buzz of the people, and I, you know just I was overwhelmed, and I looked at Alex G, and I said, "This is it, man. This is what I'm." 
And he said, you got all the tools, you can do it. And I said, all right. So at that point, it was just, I guess maybe a, a failure, a, 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 a knowledge that if I didn't succeed in this, uh, I, was, years ago, I read this article about this kid who went with the film school and uh, uh, said that his backup plan was that he didn't have a backup plan. Yeah. And that kid went on to become a famous director. Yeah, that was my, uh, that was my plan. I call now. That was my so plan. So yeah, that's where I was at. I was like, man, I fuck this bouncing shit, fuck this nightclub security shit, this strip club security. I mean, it was decent money, but there's more. There's a, there's a whole globe out there. And if somebody's going to pay me to play fight in spandex and see the world, man, count <laughs> yeah. me in. Hey, when you were bouncing, didn't you bounce with, with Kimbo? Yeah, that was my first first job on South Beach at a, a, a room. Kimbo was the first guy I walked up. And I saw him, and a lot different then, too, though. But <laughs> I walked up, and I'm like, hey, man, you guys hiring? And uh, he said, uh, hold on, let me check. And I heard him, we got on the radio, and there's a big dude out here looking for work, man. We could probably use him. Then the head guy came out, said, yeah, come back tomorrow night in a black suit, and yada, yada, yada. And me and Kimbo, uh, every now and again, we had a little business out there. Oh, nice. How was he? Was he a good, uh, cool dude? Kimbo? A sweetheart of a human being, man. He was a sweethearted human being. Like, you know, he was really, really laid back and easy going. The only time, you know, he ever got physical with anybody is if you got really stepped out of line and had it coming. But otherwise, he was just a really laid back guy, man. A, a, a father, a loving father, real proud of his kids. Um, I'll tell you a quick Kimball story that's pretty funny. He and I, at, at this time, were like both assistant heads of security. And I think uh, Wayne, Got Wayne was head of security, and Wayne fucked off, and it was just me and Kimball. And I just locked the doors, and I'm getting ready to do the evening meeting and recover the radio. And the police come banging on the door. Now there's a and, and right about three the entrance doors and the exit doors, and in this club there's all kind of trees and plants and shit. So I open the door, and there's a cop who we knew who worked with us, you know, like as the off duty shit, John. And he says, uh, hey, man, which one of your guys hit this guy? And there's a guy standing on the street holding his face with his eyes swollen. And he points at me and he goes, that's him. That's the one that hit me. That, that he, that's the one. And John looks at me and I, hey, man, did you ask to do that? I've never seen that dude before in my life, man. I had no idea. And John tilts his head and goes, come on, Hoss. I'm like, dude, I swear to you, man, I, had, I haven't even been on the sidewalk. I was just about to do the meeting. And then I, I'm, I'm probably about a foot inside the door, and I look to my left, and then I see from behind one of the trees, Kimbo pokes his head out. Me old sh- I'm like, how hard did Kimbo punch this dude? But I hit him. Like, I know, you know, we all look alike, but me and Kimbo don't look Not that at all. much alike. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. It's on the damn, man. So were you surprised to see him become like an internet fight sensation and go on to UFC and fighting for like professionally? Um, what well, the surprise was when when the DVD first started making its rounds of, of the backyard fighting. Um, the guy who he fought in that video was well known, like down south. People are afraid of down in South Dade, and uh, like in the county jail, I heard he was like you know one of the tough housemen, and he got respect. And that video made his, you know, his rounds, and Kimbo made quick work of him. 
and you know, like like a warm knife through butter, fucked his eye up. And everyone I hear people talking about this Kimbo Slice, Kimbo Slice. So my homie goes, yo, have you seen that Kimbo Slice DVD yet? I'm like, nah, man. So I pop this shit in and I watch him like, man, that's Kevin, man. That's Kevin Ferguson, Big Ferg. So he had reinvented himself as, as Ken, Kimbo Slice. And we ran into each other a few times, you know, out on the beach. And at the time, I hadn't been signed yet, but I was yeah. doing a lot of indie stuff that was getting TV time in Florida on cable and whatnot. So, you know, we were both really happy for each other that, you know, opportunities were presenting themselves. And, you know, he, I'm seeing him on DVDs and he's seeing me on TV. And then, you know, fast forward a little bit more, I'm in WWE and, you know, he's uh, on the Ultimate Fighter and the, the Elite Extreme promotion. And, you know, and, and every time, uh, you know, whenever I could, if I was in the vicinity or sometimes I'd take a trip, I'd go to his fights and we'd hang out and shoot the shit. And, uh, and we were both very happy for one another's success. Oh, That's right. so awesome, man. Hey, uh, when we had Gangrel on the show, he talked about how you uh, you were in jail with his, with his brother. Yeah, we were at work release together. Yeah. Where, where I met the officer who started my wrestling. Chris, me and Chris were talking. He's like, yeah, man, my brother's in the WWF. I'm like, no shit. Like, yeah, man. Man, that's pretty cool, man. And, you know, talked about his brother briefly. And, then, you know, not too long after that, I discovered that his brother was the vampire warrior. I'm like, yeah. oh, shit, that's his brother. Like, okay. Yeah. he. I started with him as well. So... Uh, it's it's funny like it, we are we do seem kind of like uh, related kind of you know kind of it is wrestling kind of incestuous man like people are uh, I don't mean I, I'm trying to look I don't mean it and like you know people yeah. ba- banging their their sister or something like that that's not you know what I mean, I mean like though, parallel right? yeah it's just I mean there's so many different I, or maybe I should put it like that seven to Six degrees. Six to degrees of separation. Kevin Bacon. Six degrees of separation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Six Whatever, degrees man. Of I'm screwing shit up left and right today. Fuck it. <laughs> it's all. But no, you know I what I mean. Point, though. You know, they're, they're yeah. intersecting lines in, in the pro wrestling lineage. You know, I train with this guy. This yeah. guy trained that guy. This guy trained him. Who trained me, and so forth and so on. So, yeah, yeah. You know, you're on point, man. Because, like, you know, we just in this circle of conversation, you and Dave trained together yep. with Dave Johnson, who was a mentor to me under the Malenko. And they were both Blackhearts wow. at different times. And Blackheart and right. Gangrel was, was one of the Blackhearts. Well. He was he was a Blackheart Blackheart before Dave was. That's Dave right. Johnson took Dave Lee's place when Dave Lee left the team of the Blackhearts. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole interesting story that I talked with Gangrel about like a little bit on the show that we won't get into here. <laughs> But hey, so I'll tell you what, though, man. Here's a hell of a story. When, yeah. when Dave Johnson um, took took the role of the second Blackheart, one day after an indie show, I remember we were in my trunk, we were smoking a joint, we were just you know recapping the night and shooting the shit. And there was this one kid on the show who they went to chop him a couple times, and you know how you kind of turn and up. put up the shoulder to block yeah. the chop. So Dave kind of snapped and, and wore his ass out with a chair. And the promoter, who was actually hot for the kid, got mad and cussed Dave out. And Dave went off on him and, you know, gave him a point. It was big, big to do. Yeah. And Dave was explaining to me, he said, listen, man. He said, when that kid, if that kid got signed and he went up to WWE, do you think that, uh, 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 he said, do you think Test would be nice to him? 
So do, do you think that, uh, uh, oh God, what was the uh, brother that came over with the, uh, with, with Benoit and Guerrero and Malenko? Saturn. Saturn. Perry Saturn. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Perry Saturn's going to be nice to him? See, that's, that's not how this shit works. This is about being nice to people. You got to be a man in this business and hold your own. So Dave proceeded to tell me the story about when he was tagging with Tom Nash in all Japan. Oh, yeah. Tom Nash apparently had a shit ton of heat for being a dick. And they had to take on Spivey and Hanson. Yep. And Dave said he knew some shit was fucked up because Nash told him, hey, no matter what happens tonight, don't complain. No matter what happens, don't say shit. Don't complain. And Dave's like, what the fuck's going on? Dave gave me this fucking VHS tape, this grainy, probably fourth generation VHS tape of him and Tom Nash against Hanson and Spivey. And Dave was lucky because right at the beginning of the match, he took a lariat to the face from Hanson and got knocked out. Hanson went after Tom Nash, and you know how the Japanese barricades are in Japan, with like heavy, low steel? Yes. He put fucking Tom Nash's head in the gate and started slamming it, started football kicking him in the head. And you know how the Blackhearts wore those sheer, like, stocking masks where they had no face? Yeah, you couldn't see like, out of them. You, they could see out, but you couldn't see uh, in, like, you know, like a fucking pantyhose or something, they were black. Dude, like a cartoon, you could see the bloody lumps rising up out of Tom Nash's head wow. from the, uh, even through this grainy VHS tape, man. He beat the fuck out of him. And Dave said, you know, hey, man, that's the generation of wrestling that I come from. And that's why I'm not soft on these guys. I'm not particularly nice to these guys. Like, everybody's not supposed to be in this. Everybody's not supposed to do this. And, this is true. You know, that. That mentality doesn't exist so much anymore. Like, business has evolved so much. But there was a time, and the guys that brought you in and brought me in, and you know, we came from the era of guys that fiercely protected the business. Yes. Yep. And that was my story about Tom Nash and, 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 and Dave Johnson. So, and later on, when I was in Japan, one day I actually brought Stan Hansen over for a Tokyo Dome show, and I was talking to him, and I asked him about it. And he actually remembered... Uh, that event, but he, Tom Nash had done to, to spark his wrath, and he said, you know, all these years later, he felt bad about it. You know, thinking back, he was like, oh man, yeah, it was a different time. But yeah, <laughs> I say it was a, it was a great lesson for me. If we, you know, what we could look back on back on a lot of things like that, and 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 we would feel bad for you know for quite a bit of it, man. But I mean, uh, that's just the way it was at the time. You know, I, I'm not trying to make excuses because there's a lot of things that I look back on and wish I wouldn't have done. I'm not going to say I have a ton of regrets, but just, you know, probably it wasn't the right thing to do, but it just, it's just the way we were then, man. And that's, I, I don't know, what the fucking I do about it Are now. you glad wrestling's not? Uh, part, part of me is, is, is there are some things I'm glad have changed, and but, but, but like you just said, you know, there's... You a lot it. of the guys, a lot of the guys, a lot of the people in, in wrestling now, they're just coddled and 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 babied. And, you know, they, I, it's just a different mentality, man. You know, and a lot of... Well, I think, the, you know, what's weird is, like, um, I'll give you the example of The Miz. Very successful. Yeah. Very talented. Has reached the, 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 the highest heights. And... 
I have the utmost respect for him because when we were in developmental down at Deep South, you had guys that had been around and been a few places who were bitching and moaning and complaining about the, the training. I never heard Mike Mazanin bitch or complain, not fucking once, ever. He fucking ran the miles and did the squats and took the bumps and never bitched about anything. And they were way and, harder on him than they are, on, on uh, from what I gather, on, on your average person, just because he came in from the real world MTV shit. And, that, and, and his personality yeah. didn't do him any favors either. But the point that I was going to make is, here's a guy who will tell you from his mouth that he has never been in a fight in his life and his entire life he's never been in a fist fight and once upon a time in the business of pro wrestling that was unheard of exactly. like how the fuck are you gonna go out there and simulate combat and you've never been in combat you've never been punched <laughs> in the face so yeah. how the fuck do you know how to act when you get punched in the face um well so you know dan severn never it's been it's in a street but sorry i didn't mean to cut you off you remember you know dan severn was never in a street fight before he went to ufc True story. But, anyway. he had, but, but he had combat experience. Well, yeah. With how the many, how yeah. many thousands of hours did he have on the map? Okay. Yeah. No, I was just saying, you were, It's sometimes you hear things like that, you know? <laughs> You're like, that makes But back sense. to Miz. I'm sorry. No, but that, you know, that, it wasn't Miz as much as the evolution of the industry. Yeah. Like, you have guys in the business now that call, you know, that are pro wrestlers and, and perform and... And you know they've gone, they've learned how to you know do, do the moves and do the business and whatnot, but they've never been in a fight. And yeah. as a guy who has had his ass whooped more times than most people have had fights, <laughs> I find that fascinating. Seeing the evolution of the industry, where once upon a time, if you were a pro wrestler, at some point you've traded fists with somebody somewhere along the way because you couldn't be in the business if you hadn't. And just say everybody fights, right? Not even in the schoolyard. You never had nothing. Never, never. Oh shit. Okay. But I'll say this too. Like from when I came into WWE, you know, the the, the full corporatization, or as I like to say, the Disneyfication uh -huh. of WWE hadn't completely kicked in yet. So I came and saw like the end of the old way and the beginning of the new way. And I saw, you know, when the veterans would rib the, the rookies and, you know, kick them out of the locker room and, you know, fuck around with guys and whatnot. I watched it. And um, one of the things that I saw, you know, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but, you know, the guys that got bullied got bullied because they allowed themselves to be bullied. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about that shit because, hey, man, I respect you. You respect me. I'm a grown-ass man. You know, you come at me wrong. I understand this whole locker room shit and, you know, the veterans and the hierarchy. And I'm game. I respect that to a point. But, you know, you ain't going to try me like I'm some kind of a bitch-made dude. You know what I'm saying? That's just not how I roll. And, you know, the guys who complained about being bullied got bullied because they didn't punch a bitch in the face. Like, no, nah, man, you can't talk to me like that. Let's step out here and handle this shit. But it's not like that anymore because now, especially WWE, it's a corporatized atmosphere. So, you know, somebody WWE for a hostile workplace. That's and right. sue you and then press charges for yeah. assault. I asked I asked somebody, I can't remember who it was, about, uh, who was it? Zach Gowan. I'm like, did you get ribbed when you were, like, who, you had to have because he had so much heat, right? He said, no, I had so much heat, nobody would even rib me. Because <laughs> you and know, that's, man, no, I that's do... another thing. That's the fucking ribbing yeah. in, in, in the industry of pro wrestling. Some of that shit, like I've, I've heard about 
some of the ribs you've been involved in. Yeah. I'm like, not proud of them. If you, if you shaved off my eyebrow, I'm going to bush your fucking head open. Man. I imagine like, that's, that. Dude, I got to go on TV <laughs> with no eyebrows. Like, nah, dude, that's, that's not funny. That's right. funny to you, but physically, you, you feel like, nah, dog. Or you hear some of those legendary Mr. Fuji fucking ribs? Like, that's not a rib. That shit no. ain't funny. Now you've, you've stepped way over the line at that point. Actually, like like the one I heard was like that that he... Um, uh, you fed someone their dog. Yeah, man. If you fucking kill my dog, I'm killing you. I'm, fucking John you Wick. Fucking you're dead. <laughs> Bottom line. I don't give. I don't care who has a problem with me just saying that. Fuck with my dog. Nah, See what I, happens. I wonder, Leave the gooch alone. Over the years. Well, yeah, right. I wonder how many, over the years, though, how much that's been exaggerated or mythologized. Yes. Or you, know, like I, you know. But still, yeah. just the point, you know, fucking, you know, shitting in somebody's bag. And, sure. <laughs> you know, some of, the, you know, some of the things you hear, hey, oh, this guy's drunk, he's passed out. Or this is the kind of shit that, like I said, would, would certainly, without question, uh, get a violent response from me. Dropping a, a halcyon in my drink because you think that shit's funny. And then when I pass out because I don't know, shaving my eyebrow or some shit, like, just, at this point, yep. dude, that's, there's no ha-ha in that, man. Just dropping, one of us, <laughs> doing that to anyone else even is, is fucking huge heat with me. Huge. And I know, like, some people are like, hey, you mind your own business or whatever, but no. Fucking, like, because, you know, I mean, that used to be done a lot and people, you know, Look what happens. You hear about it these days, people, you know, getting raped or, or whatever. I mean, yeah, fuck yeah. And it was happening then. They just yeah. wasn't social media to talk about it. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm but with how you. How fucked 100%. up is that? You minding your own business, hanging out, and all of a sudden you, you you pass out because somebody thought it would be funny to throw a fucking halcyon in your drink. You and know? unfortunately, that used to be like considered funny, and it used to yeah. be very commonplace. And I'm. So grateful that it's it doesn't exist anymore. Do you ever have to step in the way of someone pulling a rib on somebody else and be like, "This is too far"? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Of course. F- yeah. Hell hey, yes. Enough is enough. That's yeah. So, but, anyways, man, I I just I don't want to talk too much about like your WWE stint, but um, uh, you were there, man. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I want to know how that. I want to know how that happened. How did you? How did you? Uh, how did you end up getting hooked up in WWE? Um, dude, my career has been crazy. That uh, my dream was to wrestle in Japan. Like for me, the, the the highest height that I could reach was to wrestle at the Tokyo Dome, and I, you know, I fantasized of you know, being like a, a Stan Hansen type guy where I, I go to Japan, wrestle a few weeks out of the year, uh, or not a, a few months out of the year, whatever, just go on tours, you know, make make a, a decent six-figure income, come back here to the States, and nobody would know who the fuck I was. I thought, man, I just, what a great way. And I've, I've always been a fan of Japanese history and culture. Um, and I had a few trials with WWE and Johnny Ace, um, one day I was like, I just, I was fed up because I'd had like, you know, three tryouts or, you know, just got booked as an extra and nothing ever came of it. And I, Johnny was walking down the hall and I'm like, Johnny, can you give me five minutes? He was up, busy kid. I said, all right, two minutes. So, busy kid. 
like, man, just, Johnny, just 30 seconds. Just give me 30 seconds. And he stops and he says, all right, kid, what do you want? I said, tell me what the fuck I have to do to get hired. Tell me what you need from me to give me a job. What, what do I have to do? And I can tell Johnny was kind of taken aback because nobody talks to Johnny. Or back then, you know, nobody talked to Johnny Ace like that. You know, your, your whole career is in his hands if you're just, you know, an unknown guy. Yeah. But uh, he was impressed by that. And he said, well, we like you. Back then, I used to wrestle with Antonio Banks. He said, we yeah. like you, Banks. We just don't have anything for you. Come, come back, you know, come up with something that we don't already have, something character-based, because we're going back to more character-based uh, personalities. And... Uh, you know, get back with us. So, you know, I felt blown off again. I was like, man, fuck. And at the time I was working out on South Beach doing, you know, security and working the clubs. And I would see all of these pompous, self-absorbed, you know, overpaid pro athletes come to the club acting like the world owed them something. And, you know, a lot of these guys weren't even like, you know, starters on the team or or first round draft pick bus showing up like, hey, you know, I'm so and so with you know, fifteen people. Like, yeah, fuck off, man. And they were always dickheads and arrogant. Stiffing the waitress like, on the tip and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas like actual legends like Jim Brown or Dr. J. Yeah. Like one night I stood outside the club for twenty, fifteen, twenty minutes just shooting shit with Barry Sanders, who was nice. completely disinterested with being in the club. We talked and didn't talk anything about football, nothing at all, you know. And uh, then by comparison, you get these other dickheads that feel like, you know, and bing, light bulb went on. I'm like, wait, that hasn't been done in wrestling yet. Every week you could turn on Sports Center and there's some pro athlete doing or saying something stupid. So there's no shortage of material for a character like that. So I came up with the idea of a character I'd call an MVP. And I came up with the name Montel because. Yeah. Do you know any white people named Montel? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> Montavious, because it was, uh, you know, like one of these black exotic names like Lavernius Coles right. or LeBron James, you know, Montavious, because it just fit. And Porter, because Jerry Porter was my favorite receiver at the time. So, bam, MVP. And nice. <clears throat> I came up with a whole concept. And um, here's the beauty of it. Remember Ricky Santana? Of course I remember Ricky, yeah. Ricky Santana and Johnny Ace are really good friends. Oh, like yeah. Johnny Ace used to sleep on Ricky's couch back in the day in the territory days when Ricky was making money. And uh, I told Johnny Ricky the idea for MVP. And he said, man, that sounds like money, bro. I said, well, I'm scared to pitch it to Johnny because I'm scared they'll steal my shit. And uh, he said, All right, well, let me talk to him. So he says, I right, give Johnny a call. I talked to him. He gave me his word, man to man, that he, he won't steal your shit. So Johnny calls me up. All right, kid, what do you got? I ran down the MVP deal to him, said, I like it. He said, write me like 20 vignettes and storyline ideas. So what I ended up doing was putting together this very professional looking treatment with uh, a table of contents and chapters. And there was a chapter on how MVP dresses, how he looks. Johnny said 20 and I put 20 vignettes and storyline ideas. I included a picture, you know, pictures of me in a suit and whatnot. And I sent two promos, one with me doing a minute so they could see I could hit time, and one that was about four and a half minutes to see that I could tell an, an entertaining story. And uh, Alex Greenfield, who's my podcast partner, oh, yeah. said that uh, Court Bauer brought it to him and said, have you guys seen this shit yet? And uh, they popped it in in the, the writer's room and they watched the promos and they saw the whole deal and everybody was impressed. And they showed it to Vince. 
And Vince was, God damn it, let's get him on TV. Uh, Vince, he's not signed. Well, God, why not? Sign him. And uh, that's, that's how MVP came to be. And the funny thing is, when the day they, they made a decision to hire me at the time, I was, uh, I was at my girlfriend's house, and I left my phone in my, in my truck because she would go through my shit sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I came, we had a late night, so I came down in the afternoon, and my whole missed call log was called from Ricky Santana. And I was like, oh, shit. So I called Ricky, and he goes, bro, where the fuck you been? I said, oh, man, I was up at my girl's crib, man. It was 3.30, I remember. And uh, he goes, man, what does you do? I said, I got bad news, and I got worse news. Which do you want first? And I said, well, fuck, that's not, <laughs> not much to work with. So I said, ah, oh, fuck it. All right, man, yeah. Give, give me the worst news. So the worst news is uh, I got a call from New Japan, bro. They were looking for a young black guy to work on top with Chono. I'm like, oh, get the fuck out of here, man. Now, Chono, for those of you who don't know, is an institution in Japanese wrestling. The coolest motherfucker ever to step through the ropes. For sure. And he was, like, my favorite stylistically. And when they he told me that... um. They needed to hear something by 3 o'clock. It was already 3.30. I said, man, can you call him back? He goes, ah, too bad, bro. They already went with some guy from California. I'm not bullshitting when I tell you. My eyes literally welled up with tears. I was crushed that, like, I missed this, this, this moment to go wrestle in Japan with Chono. Then um, he said, well, you want to hear the bad news? I'm like, yeah, fuck it, Rick. What's the bad news? He goes, well, I talked to Johnny Ace and... Uh, they don't want you at uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling Developmental. So at this point, I'm, I'm questioning my whole life. Yeah. Like, all I've worked for at this point is just, you know, to be able to make a living as a pro wrestler. And, you know, Japan and WWE, you know, it's like both of those doors are, are closed now. And I was, I was 31, turning 32 at the time, and I was, I was crushed. And then Ricky says, well, don't you want to know why they don't want you at Ohio Valley? Like, sure, Rick, why? Because they want you at Deep South Wrestling in Atlanta. Call Johnny right now. He's going to give you a job. I'm like, ah, oh, you motherfucker. Why do they you talk sh- about going from the depths of the deepest valleys to the heights of the highest joys of elation, like uh, an emotional roller coaster of the worst kind? And I called Johnny, and he thought that was the funniest shit in the world. And Ricky gripped me like that. We, everybody's got a rib, right? Yeah. Man, it's just impossible, it seems like, not to do that to somebody when they're giving them shit like that. Do you know who the guy from California that yeah, ended up going wondering. to fill your spot was? Oh, they just made that shit up. That shit wasn't even wow. true. Wasn't even true. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> So it really was yeah, a rip. There was no New Japan, no spot in California, none of that shit. That was just. I'm like racking my brain trying to think who it would be. <laughs> I was like, who would it be? Why, why'd, they send you to deep, <laughs> why'd they send you to Deep South instead of Ohio Valley? Because Deep South was brand new. It had just opened up. Mm. So that's where they were sending the, the new talent to, to help fill that up. I see. And, and Deep South was interesting too because you know Bill Demott was the head trainer there, yeah. and you know you've heard the stories. Um, and I always say this about Bill: his pendulum swung both ways. Like there were times when I would tell you he was the most miserable fucking prick I had ever been around. Yeah. 
And then conversely, there were times when, you know, I'm like, man, I, this bill was, I love this bill. What a, one of the greatest, funnest fucking guys to be with, man. I just, like, wow, you know, this, this guy's great. But, you know, when it came to training day, you didn't know which bill was showing up. <laughs> so, yeah. Some days it was fun bill, and some days it was not so fun bill. Yeah, I, did, I didn't have to, uh, obviously I didn't have to, to deal with any of that. But, you know, I've heard, heard the story, so... Uh, Apparently, uh, you made it through just fine, though. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, part of that is that, um, for me, you had a lot of people there at, at Deep South that have never really been anywhere. This was That was literally their first time away from home. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you had uh, two or three guys that had maybe done some trips to Japan. You know, uh, wrestling-wise, I had, I had been to Puerto Rico. I, you know, I'd spent a few months in Puerto Rico. Um yeah, but I had been in prison, so I, you know, there was just a certain dynamic there that, hey, I'm going to work my ass off, I'm going to do everything I got to do, but, you know, all that other shit, we ain't having that, dog, you know? And, you know, again, like, it, I remember it got kind of bad at one point where people were writing anonymous letters to the office, <laughs> they were just scared to death, and, you know, the training was hard, and it, it was rough, but... um and I knew what I wanted to do. I had plans. I had somewhere to go. Sure, and it, obviously, obviously you that, weren't obviously you weren't going to let any of that stuff get in the way of what you wanted. No, no, I, I had a goal. I knew what I was trying to get to. You know that that you know developmental was just a pit stop on the way. Yeah, how long and, were you there uh, for? Fuck, I, I I remember I reported like the weekend of my birthday in October yeah. and then I got called up the following year in August so barely a year that's not I mean that's really not a short time if, if you ask me I was thinking maybe six months but wow yeah huh. so you were in November, deep South December, January, February, March, April, May, June, June yeah it was about eight, nine months before I got called up so you were there when you cut this infamous promo that got you called up you heard that story. Well, huh? yeah, I've heard that story. I was wondering if you could talk about this promo and if you remember it, how it went. Um, I don't remember the exact words, but uh, I remember the context. The, Monday night, I was watching Raw, and Shelton Benjamin made his entrance. And it was a brand new Shelton Benjamin with, with sunglasses and an unbuttoned shirt. And um, Did he have blonde hair or Jim something? Ross the gold standard i don't know if he was doing the gold standard yet uh. i don't re recall him having the blonde hair yet i just remember jr referring to him as the terrell owens of, of the wwe and immediately i took umbrage to that i'm like these motherfuckers signed me to steal my shit and now they're gonna fire me <laughs> yeah so right away i called uh Chris to Joseph, who I had been working with, and I'm like, yo, what the fuck is this shit, man? And he goes, no, nah, indeed, just take it easy, everything's cool, we got plans for you, like, this has nothing to do with you, I swear, it's all right. But, you know, my bullshit detector's like, nah, man, they're trying to fuck me over. And, uh, I remember we had to do promos, and, uh, we had to do two-minute promos, and then they would send them to the office, and, you know, the the writers would look at him and watch him and you know, see who was promising. And <clears throat> I showed up wearing one of my suits, cheap ass K and G suits. Um, and I didn't even have my hair braided. I had my fro out 
And I, I, I remember starting the promo saying something to the effect of, hey, remember me, MVP? Um, it's a good thing that these suits that, that, I, that I bought for, for this MVP gimmick I can actually wear on South Beach because this is really me. Um, and I went on to say something about how, you know, like, uh, I don't know what makes you think that you could take something from me. Because remember, I'm the guy that used to stick a shotgun in people's mouths and tell them, I will take from you or I will take your life. And you think you're going to take from me? And I did <laughs> some shit like that. So I went on nice. talking about, uh, you know, um, like, I'm real. This is really me with the volume cranked up. And you could try to take someone else and, and dress him up and put him on TV with his mama. And, um, <laughs> and I think I made some kind of, because uh, at the time they were doing the Campbell Soup commercials. So I made some reference to uh, you know one of the football players and his mama and whatnot. But ultimately, when they saw that promo, and I went and I told the cameraman beforehand, I said, "Look, I'm gonna go over on this. Just do me a favor. Please don't shut the camera off." And at that time, me and Bill Demott had kind of you know we were uh, you know I had a little friction. So everybody was dead quiet in Deep South. Everyone was like, "Oh shit, this motherfucker's crazy. He's gonna get fired." And uh, Bill looks at me and says, that was a great promo. What are you going to do when they turn it off in two minutes? I said, you and I both know they ain't turning that shit off. Yeah. And I walked out, and everyone was quiet. And uh, this one Puerto Rican dude who was there, Eric, he comes up and shakes my hand and says, hey, bro, it was good working with you, man. It was good knowing you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, about two weeks later, I got called up. <laughs> but when he said it's good knowing you, they thought you were gone? Yeah, everybody thought I was going to get fired. They thought I was about to get fired. They thought I was out. And uh, Brian Gewertz, I saw him when uh, he came up to me in the, the hotel gym and they called me up for one, you know, to do a dark match and have a look. And he said, oh, yeah, that, that promo was, um, it was, it was disturbing. I said, good. I'm glad. <laughs> and uh, that was that. Did he, mean that? Like, Did he mean that in a good way or a bad way? I think a little bit of both. I think it was, you know, kind of like, I, I think, you know, he was a, a little, Brian Gewurz is a little shifty, rat-faced dweeb. So, you know, he was like, you know, he the, was the, little, the reality of that. Yeah. I know had to make him, on. he's the kind of dude that like, when you cross the street, he like, locks the door. You know, yeah, he, he was like <laughs> that, man. He tries to reach over and hit the, hit the door lock. I just saw him recently, though, man. He's 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 a he's grown up, man. That kid's grown up, and and he came into the oh, yeah? oh I had huge we had huge heat with each other, huge heat, man. I was I put yeah, him. I don't, in, have, I, I don't have a big opinion of him. Well, I, I I didn't either, but I I do now, and uh, and I and I look back on on shit with him, and I feel like I kind of bullied him a bit, uh, but. You know, he came in. He came in the business. He was like, I don't know, probably eighteen or something, man. And you know, getting thrown in the, in uh, in this with us. But uh, ah, that's a whole nother fucking story, man. I didn't mean to go off into the weeds on Gerwitz, but no, nah, that's cool. No, nah, but it, you know, but yeah. when when I met him, he was a head writer for yeah. Raw. And when I got transferred from SmackDown to Raw, all of a sudden, you know, my 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 my. my I was just putting shitty bullshit stories sure. on him. I went from being on the rocket ship to not mattering. And anytime I would, you know, rope him up and ask him what's up, you know, you know how he was always real shifty eyed and shit. Yeah. You know, he couldn't look me in the eye and he'd just be stumbling and hum humming and hawing. And uh you know, there was a couple things he did very specifically 
that I asked him about. And then when it came time for, you know, the, the TV show for actual TV, he did some, some fucked up shit. I won't go into the, the specifics of it, but, um, you know, now I see he's doing his thing with rock and running his production company and all that. And that's all good, but he didn't do anything for me in my career. As a matter of fact, to the contrary. Right. Um, yeah, I can say the same thing. He hindered my career. I can say the same thing, but I have to also look just as far as my own situation with him. I brought a little bit of on myself. Uh, that's just me, <laughs> you know. And I had a way of I had a way of doing that back then. But that was, like I said, that's just me. Oh, you? No way! Yeah. No. Oh God! It. Looking back, oh, man. But so, how long was your run there? Man, I think I was there four years. I saw released in December of. 2010, I think I asked for a release. And why, why was that, exactly? Uh, I, you know what, man? As I said, my dream was always to wrestle in Japan. Right. And everybody who knew me always heard me say, before I retire, I'm going to go wrestle in Japan. At least once in my career, I want to hear that. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was... There was my career would be nothing if I never experienced that, you know? Mm. And at that point, I think I was just making my way out of the doghouse. They were just, you know, starting to, you know, use me in a positive way. And um, a little catalyst the week before where me and, and an executive had some words and I invited them outside. And, uh, you know, I was just sick of it. I'm like, dude, you're not talking to me like that. I don't give a fuck who you think you are. And then I went to him and I'm like, look, you know, he apologized because he was in the wrong, really. But yeah. um, we we discussed it. And I'm like, you know what? The following week, I went to Johnny Ace. I'm like, hey, man, um, yeah, I, I want my release because right now I'm just not happy being here. And I don't want to leave here under circumstances that won't allow me to come back. So let me leave here in the circumstances where the door could potentially be opening. And I didn't go to Vince and ask for my release because I know three or four other guys who went to Vince to ask for their release. And Vince used the Jedi mind trick and made him stay. And um, Man, nobody Johnny better at it than him. Yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. I, I, you know, I call Vince the Emperor. Yep. Vince is Emperor Palpatine. Palpatine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, he was and, always and called WWE the Emperor. He is the Empire. Yeah. Uh, and don't get it twisted. Stephanie is Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> I don't subscribe to that. But, uh, oh, no, I, no, I mean that in in, in, in a very complimentary way. You know, like as far as the Empire goes, you know, when when the Emperor goes down, who do you think's running shit? Darth Vader. Yeah, so, but are you trying to say that 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 Darth Vader, like, because in you know, Return of the Jedi, Darth Vader is the one that killed the Emperor. So, anyways, well, how the <laughs> fuck did I get that far? Right, I, I didn't know you were that into Star Wars. God, huge Star Wars, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, what do yeah, people yeah, think I mean, of listening yeah. to this shit? That's, that's, <laughs> well, if, if, if Vince is the Emperor, who is his fifth apprentice? Stephanie's been groomed for that spot yeah. since she was a little girl. Yeah. So, so, but you had a good relationship with Johnny Ace. I know that. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. We had a pretty good relationship. Not everyone did. Part. Yeah, not everyone did. You were one of the guys that, that I 
that I heard back then, you know, talk about Johnny, you know, being always being up front with you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I never had to deal with Johnny in, in that uh, capacity. I didn't know him that way. Yeah, see, I, he was the guy that hired me. So, you know, he was my boss. And, you know, he knew about my passion for Japan. And yeah. there were plenty of times we'd be at the bar, you know, drinking beer. And I'd be asking him, oh, man, John, tell me about that time you worked with Misawa. Oh, tell me about that time the Cork and Hall with Kabashi. You know? Yeah. And, you know, because I was such a, and still I'm such a huge mark for that. So we bonded over that, which is ultimately how I asked for my release, too. When I told him I was ready to go, I said, Johnny, you know my dream's always been to wrestle in Japan. I want to. I'm, I'm ready to leave here. I want to go wrestle in Japan. And uh, I sure hope that. I sure hope that you already had a gig lined up before you asked for your release. I sure didn't. Oh, wow. God. So I you're just, just rolling the dice. <laughs> How how did you think you were going to grab hold on to a parachute after you already jumped out? Uh, Apparently you did. Some fucking James Bond shit. Right? (laughs) It worked. It worked. Does that go back to that not having a plan B situation where it's like all or nothing? Don't have a plan B. Well, you know what? I remember um, I felt confident that I I would be able to get a job because when I met Jado and Gato uh, in San Diego, they they got brought in for a tryout. And uh, they saw me with Benoit. Benoit was my friend and mentor. And they saw me doing 500 squats with him and running the arena stairs with him. And, you know, really, at that point, I was devoted. Like, me and Chris trained together hard. <clears throat> and um, Chris introduced me to them. And I'm like, oh, shit, John Ogato, what's up, man? And, and they were shocked that I knew who they were. Um but then they realized what a huge fan of Japanese wrestling I was, and we hit it off. So way later, well, when I went through an intermediary and put the word, you know, hey, man, I'm interested in coming to WWE, uh, coming to uh, New, New Japan, they, uh, you know, they were, you know, pretty, uh, what's the word? They, they facilitated it to a great degree. And I remember Johnny Ace asked me, he said, well, what do you do? I said, I'm going to New Japan. He said, well, do you have any contacts over there? I said, well, I'm working on it. He goes, you want me to make a call for you? I said, nope, I got this. They said, all right, cool. All right, well, if you need anything, just let me know. And then uh, Hattori called me, and I talked to Hattori. And uh, Hattori said, uh, yeah, you got some papers with uh, WWE something? I said, no, nah, contract, complete, finish. He goes, oh, well, you got to get uh, some, some legal papers or something. I said, all right, no problem. Then I called Ace up and I said, Ace, could you let Hattori know that you know I'm, I'm free and clear? I've got no contractual obligations. And uh, he did that. And uh, I debuted. At, and of all places, I debuted in Sendai. Sendai. Yeah. The port of Sendai. And, uh, that's where we would take the... See, when I wrestled with Jado and Gato and Universal Pro, our company didn't have enough money to fly to uh, Hokkaido. So we'd have to get on a ferry in Sendai. And, and sail all the way to uh, Sapporo on a damn ferry. <laughs> yeah. How long is that ride? It's a long-ass way, especially when you're going through a typhoon. Holy shit. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> and, and, and speaking of typhoon, um, fuck, Sendai was the uh, was the epicenter of where the, 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 the big quake was. That's right. 11. Yeah. When, uh, you know, what, like... And the Fukushima reactor, right? And, yeah. And 17,000 just unaccounted for swept away. As a matter of fact, dude, I was in Tokyo when that when that quake hit. And you were over there? Dude, that shit, 
I was there when it happened. I wasn't in Sendai, but I was in Tokyo. And uh, so a few hundred miles away. But even in Tokyo, dude, that shit was fucking insane. Yeah. Watching buildings rock and cracks open up in the sidewalk. Yeah. And, like, I was I was in a, a, a Sakusa. A Sakusa, yeah. Kubi. The marketplace, and, right? With the right, with the yeah, Bushi, like with the yeah with the Buddhist temple yes or the Shinto yeah my remember. friend Akubi took me there to, to give me a little tour and whatnot and then we went to this uh, on the corner we went to this little uh, izakaya and I had a big tank of beer and we're eating and talking and like and this is my dream come true like fuck I'm in Japan this is amazing yeah. and the quake starts and at first I started smiling like oh shit oh my first Japanese earthquake this is cool. And then, like, shit started falling off the walls and shit was crashing. And Japan is, I think, like the third most seismically active country in yes. the world. It's in the ring so, of fire. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, like, in LA, if a, you know, if an earthquake that gets everything stopping in LA just makes Japanese people pause for a second, everything good? All right, keep moving. That shit doesn't phase them at all. But when I saw Japanese people climbing under tables and crying and people getting I'm like, oh, kiss my ass. My whole life I wanted to be here and now I'm going to die here. This is fucked up. So where exactly and, uh, were you? My first earthquake over there, I was on like the 30th or the 40th floor of the Keio Plaza. No, I was I was on the first floor in okay. this, this Japanese izakaya. But the here's the thing about that. That earthquake was the most powerful earthquake in recorded history. Um, 9.1. Yeah. And... So you know, like the aftershocks are gonna be in the high eights and then so forth and so on. So I was in the Tokyo Dome Hotel on like the 20 something floor. And you know, it's cool because Japanese technology, the buildings are made to sway, to withstand yeah. the force of, of, of an earthquake. But like, like you said, when you're way that high up and an aftershock in like the high sevens, eights hits, the, I'm laying there in my room and the fucking building, I can hear it go. Mm. Like, oh, Sounds like Godzilla and Rodan <laughs> are about to fight. Oh man, it was just the yeah, the screeching steel as this 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 forty something floor hotel sways back and forth from the aftershock. And then to drop on top of that, like you said, the Fukushima reactor hit. And I'm like, okay, I survived the earthquake and I'm going to die in 10 years from radiation poisoning. Like, damn, yeah. man. Hey. But it was cool because New Japan got us out of there. They drove us, you know, had us go down to the next city where we were supposed to go and everything was fine. They really took care of us. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're the type of guy I noticed that when you set out to do something, you uh, you immerse yourself in it. Like, when you, when you went to Japan, you learned the language. I mean, I don't know if, you, if you're proficient in it, but you, you're pretty damn good at it. Uh, well, no, I didn't get fluent, but yeah, I made it a point to actually, you know, try to be able to chat with the boys a little bit and be able to order food and find, you know, find my way to the hotel or whatnot. You know, it's, you, know you got to know how to ask women their names and if they want to come back to the room, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're really into anime, right? You're super into anime, yeah, aren't yeah, you? I, yeah, I am. I'm... I'm Cowboy Bebop and Samurai Shampoo are my two favorite of all time by far and away. So did learning Japanese help you watching the anime or reading the manga? 
It was the other way around. Uh-huh. Watching anime helped me learn Japanese because I'm watching Japanese with English subtitles. And uh, you know what's cool about that? Like, I like to watch like Yakuza movies, you know, with uh, Beat Takeshi and shit. And I remember watching a show and seeing the translation on the screen and smiling from ear to ear going, that's not what he said. That's not what he said at all. <laughs> My first time, I mean, there's a subway right across the street from uh, from the Tokyo Dome Hotel, Subway Sandwich Place. And um, I'm, I'm going to put over, they didn't pay me for this, but I'm going to put over the Rosetta Stone because that shit really, really helps. If you want to learn a language, that shit works. And it, it helped me a lot with my Japanese. And um, I was standing in the subway because it teaches you how to read, write, and speak the language simultaneously. So I'm standing in subway and I'm looking at the, 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 the you know, the symbols. You know, it was uh, Katakana that I was looking at. Hiragana, Hiragana. And I'm looking at it and it says, O, E, She. It's like, you know, I'm in Sesame Street sounding the word out. O, E, She. And I didn't even have any, like, control over it. I just burst out. Oh, you see? Oh, I know that word. And all these Japanese people started looking at me, smiling and laughing. Didn't that mean delicious? I was going to say, learning Nihongo. Nihongo wa hanasemasu. Sumimasen. And, oh, so good. Okay, okay. Oishi desu. Hi, so, so, oishi desu. And oishi means delicious. That's what I thought, yeah. It's one of the few I remember. my first time learning to read in Japanese. Nice. A lot of people don't do that, man. They just go over there, they take the money, you know. Uh, I mean, they have fun and everything, but I, I have to say I was one of those. I, I I had a real, you know, you know, I just, please, thank you, you know, how to order a beer or simasen, you know, to get somebody's attention. And that simasen, was the you, But I just loved it, man. What was your favorite, uh, what was your favorite memory over there? Not to sound like with the, Coming off with the g- generic questions, like what's your favorite color question? No, but. dude. I, you know what? I'm, no, I'm glad you asked that question because, like, for me, remember, WWE was my goal. Right. Japan was my dream. So to wrestle in Japan was, for me, quite literally a dream come true. And people ask me, like, hey, man, you know, what, what was the, what was your 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 what match were you the most nervous for? And it wasn't WrestleMania, you know, it wasn't wrestling Undertaker or Benoit, you know, I mean, not to say I wasn't nervous the first time I did all that, but the most nervous I had ever been in my entire career was my very first match at Cork and all. Me too. Just, uh, you too? Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, so you know what I'm talking about. Yes, man. and I had wrestled a shitload at that point and I was I was so freaking nervous because that's like that at that point that was the capital of the world for pro wrestling no other building had more wrestling shows in it than I mean they'd have one they'd they'd, they'd been having one in the afternoon uh, and be and be clearing out the the ring and putting another ring in there for a show at night that we were having I mean it was and it was amazing and I was so freaking nervous I forgot to take my wedding ring off I was married at a young age so I was 19 um, and uh, I, I remember you wrestled with the oh, ring yeah, on yeah. did you put like tape over it or no anything? no I just I was just I was, shit, like, oh, I was shit. shit in my pants before I went out there I wrestled Dick Togo 
in my first match over there. Oh, Who, who'd you Jesse wrestle? Goat. Yeah. I wrestled uh, Machine Gun Anderson, uh, Carl Anderson now of WWE fame. Yeah. But, uh, I, and I want to say it was like for the New Japan Cup, too. So it was like my very first match in Cork and Hall was, you know, with one of their established foreigners in, uh, in, in a, a, a tournament match. And back then, Cork and Hall, they painted all over it. Nah, it sucks. But back then, like, the stairwell was marked up with graffiti of all the wrestlers who had been there. So everybody's yeah. name was on the wall. Everyone, and I'm just reading, looking at all these guys, you know, to me, legends, to some of my buddies, and I'm like, fuck, I am here, man. Pacing back and forth, like, unbelievably nervous, the pressure I put on myself because of the importance that I placed the significance on, on that building. Yeah. And went out there and had a great match with Machine Gun, who's awesome. Loved the match with him. Loved working with him. He's just I when I was over there, I used to tweet pictures of me, him, and Shinsuke, and say like, "No, I'm over here with some of the greatest guys you've never heard of. You know, here are two of the best guys you've never heard of." And um, and who were some of those guys? Who were some of those guys? I mean, I know some of them are, but maybe a lot of people listening that that you were over there with that Pete, everyone knows who they are now. Shinsuke Nakamura, right. um, my favorite, Carl Anderson, um, Okada. But you know, he people will know him. I mean, I, I think New Japan would do. I don't think they'll let him get away for anything. Come hell or high water, they'll, they'll mortgage the fucking island that they have to to keep him. That's but, what they um, should. Yeah, they you know, um, and I heard that you know because before when I used to go over. You know, New Japan, they didn't do big long-term contracts. Right. And for me, my contract was tour-to-tour. -tour. I never signed a contract with New Japan for more than a few weeks. Um, and, Who were the guys, though, that you went over there with? The the, the American uh, foreigners? Well, when I was there, it was me, Baldo, and, and Carl were a tag team. Baldo uh, is Matt Albert. Bloom, a.k.a. Prince Albert. Yeah. Um, then there was Lance Hoyt, who well, wrestles in Japan is Lance Archer. Right. Akasan. Um, his tag partner, uh, Davy Boy Smith, yeah. The, Killer Elite Squad. Well, Davy Boy Smith Jr., they call him, yeah. Um, let me see, who else is over there with us at the time? Um, uh, oh, of course, Prince Devitt. Yeah. Who now they know him as Finn Finn Balor or Finn Balor yeah. or whatnot. Uh, Were the Young Bucks over there yeah. yet? No, no, not yet. They came okay. way after I was going. Kenny um, Omega. Oh, you also had a uh, 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 Rocky Romero. Oh yes, was, uh, part of the No Remorse Corps. Yeah, he was my partner in uh, in Mexico, and he was a guest on the show here a couple, not that long ago. Asuka Rock. Yeah. Nice man. That's yeah. a nice little crew. Yeah, it was there. a good good squad of guys, man. You had a good squad of foreigners over there when I was there. And not pretty, long after pretty good team. Not long after there. they brought you over there, you were the I, their uh, intercontinental champion. Were you their first IC champ? Yeah, they they held a tournament and uh, crowned me as the first ever IWGP Internet Intercontinental Champion. Did and they make that belt just for you? I'd like to think they did. Right? I'd like to think so too. <laughs> I wanna... um, no, I think I think they had plans of introducing a secondary title, right? And um, 
you know, I thought they thought that it would pop the title to, to bring in a WWE a name off that roster to, to start the lineage with that title. And since then, man, you know, some some legendary figures have, have been the IC champion. So it's real proud for me to know that the legacy of that title starts with me. And for oh, yeah. a guy who worship Japanese wrestling, like to be able to be in the history books and then to be a part of them. I mean, fuck, dude, my picture's on the wall in Rivera. That's that's all I ever wanted, man. Oh, but you know how that works, right? You know how that works. The the guy that owns Ribera, when he he knows who's coming into town, he'll he'll switch the pictures up and put your picture on the wall when he knows you're coming. But it's better than not doing it at all. No, no, no. But I got a permanent spot. Oh, good. I went there twice. Nice. I went there twice without giving him the heads up. One time I showed up with this chick we didn't call, yeah. and my shit was in the same spot. And another time I went on my own with no heads up, and I showed up, and my picture was in the same spot. Right on. Did you, uh, hey, didn't you beat Ko, uh, Kojima for the IC title? No, 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 no. Me and Kojima, uh, we only wrestled in a, a G1 uh, match. Oh, uh, okay. I beat, uh, it was a tournament, and the last person that I faced in the tournament for the IC title was Yano, Toru Yano. Oh, okay. He's a, a tremendously talented guy in his own right. But yeah, let it be known, I had, I had to fight Okada in that tournament. He wasn't the Rainmaker yet, but he was Okada. And I beat him. So let it be known. I got a win over Okada. <laughs> let it be known, people. Let it be known. Write that shit down. And now, how, how did your uh, how did your run end in New, uh, New Japan? Um, man, I, I just uh, I had been over there for two years. Yeah. Um, I, I, I got Shelton in, and they put us together as a tag team. Black Dynamite. Uh, yeah. Uh, Talk about a heartbreak. Again, like, Chris Benoit was my friend, my mentor, and my favorite wrestler, and I got to wrestle him at WrestleMania. Yeah. They told me at Wrestle Kingdom I was supposed to tag up with Chono. I, at that point, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to retire. It won't get any better than that. I fucking wrestled Benoit at Mania, tagged with Chono at Wrestle Kingdom. I'm done, bitch. Uh, and then they called me and said, hey, look, you know, something went down with uh, Inoki and uh, Chono-san can't do Tokyo Dome. So... Uh, you got some partner you want to bring? So I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. So I called Jericho, but Jericho had just signed, re-signed with WWE on the download. I called uh, Dave Batista, who would have loved to, but he was shooting a movie, so scheduling didn't work. And then um, I called my, my buddy Shelton Benjamin, who's my brother from another mother and lives right around the corner. And he was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm down. And we tagged up, and they ended up keeping us together for a while. And I had a blast. And um, at that point, I just wanted to take a little time off. And yeah. I was uh, I was thinking about going back to the WWE. And I just took a, a year off. I asked for, you know, I told them, I gave them my notice. And uh, they were real cool. And they said, hey, you know, doors open if you want to come back. You know, thank you very much. And I took a year off from wrestling, man. All I did was train jiu-jitsu and just travel and just let my body heal and enjoy life a little bit. And... Uh, when it was time for me to uh, go back to WWE or what, you know, when I was ready to go back, TNA swooped in and was like, hey, we'll offer you this much money for 50 dates a year. And I went, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. And uh, I ended up going to TNA. Yeah, and 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 you did, and how long were you in TNA for? Because I know you, it was you, Joe, 
and uh, was it Kenny King? Kenny King and yeah. Loki is the beat and down Loki, clan. Yeah. Yeah, about a year and a half, man. About a year and a half, um, and that shit ended real sour because, um, uh, what's his name? Big John Gaburg. He was the guy who uh, finagled his way into an executive spot, um, and like he let Joe's contract expire. And then he and Joe had a very uh, nasty little exchange. And Joe said, fuck it, I'm out. <laughs> and Joe ended up signing you know, with NXT. Um, I needed a, 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 what do you call it, a, a, a heavy hitter for the squad. And one of the writers at TNA suggested Hernandez, uh, Shaw Hernandez yeah. from X. And... You know, he and I were always pretty cool from you back in the day when I was, you know, doing trials at TNA. And he was at Lucha Underground at the time. And what ended up happening, his contract with Lucha Underground was up. But the contract stipulated that he couldn't appear on TV for anyone else until all of his TV appearances with Lucha expired. Um, I had a meeting with Gaburik about you know, who we were going to hire to be the heater on the squad. And I said, well, what about Hernandez? And he was, well, you know, when he left here, it was, you know, under pretty bad terms. And, you know, I saw some interviews where he wasn't too happy with how the company, you know, treated him. And he said, if you can get him to come back, I'd love to have him. I said, all right, all right, let me talk to him. Fast forward, they managed to get him. He signed Hernandez. Hernandez joined the beatdown clan. It was so cool because I had Homicide and Hernandez the LAX yeah. reunited under the beatdown clan banner. It was going to be great. Um, then I get a call from Gaburik telling me, hey, listen, um, we got a huge problem. Uh, Hernandez was still under contract to Lucha Underground. And he explained about the TV appearances and how they offered Lucha Underground money to, you know, to let it ride. And, you know, they did everything they possibly could and Lucha Underground was, nope, you get him off your TV. We had shot Eight episodes of television oh, with shit. Hernandez in it. Eight weeks of TV with Hernandez. So the kicker in all that is this. I asked, well, what, what are we going to do? He said, well, the beatdown clan, that angle is just over. It's done. It's just you're disbanded. It's, it's over. I'm like, no explanation. It just ceased to exist. He goes, yeah, we're done with that. I'm like, Okay. Uh, what am I going to do? And he goes, yeah, um, oh, yeah. we think right now it's best if we just uh, go our separate ways from a business standpoint. I said, wait a minute, hold on. How, why the fuck am I fired? Like, what, what, what did I do? He goes, oh, well, you know, you, you just, you just, you know, caught up in the heat. I said, wait a minute, how do I have heat? I didn't hire him. You don't have heat? You hired him. You didn't, you didn't bid his contract? Like, <laughs> If anybody should be fired, it should be you for hiring the guy without, you know, checking out his contract. And uh, he goes, well, I just, you know, I got a, a different spot than you. And, you know, and he told me straight up in no certain terms, Hassan, you're, you're just you're, you're just taking the heat for this. You're catching the shrapnel. So I'm like, I'm fired for your fucked up decision. He goes, I will just, you know, just keep this under wraps for a little while. And, you know, maybe, uh. And maybe in a few months I can bring you back. And I'm like, dude, you got me fucked up, man. Like, how, how do you fix your mouth to say some shit like that? You fucked up, but I'm getting fired. It sounds, like, it sounds like you, you didn't get the heat. It sounds like the heat was put on you. 
Yo, it was shifted to me. Yeah, yeah the heat was placed on yeah. me. Yeah, nobody so, just nobody that, just mistakenly uh, thought it was you. Somebody fucking put the finger on you. And that somebody would be John Burke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So he hung me out the draft. That's how I ended up leaving TNA. I didn't. I never wanted to leave TNA. I got fired from TNA. But were you under contract? Yeah, I was under contract okay. at the time. I was in my, yeah. my second year of a two-year deal. So how many of those 50 dates did you get to do? Before and you- they owed me money, too. <laughs> oh, did they not pay you? Well, from the previous year, again, John Gaburik, his lying ass, from the previous year... I didn't make, they didn't give me all of the dates that we were contractually obligated to. They were short. And he said, hey, man, just, you know, work with me and we'll make up those dates next year. <laughs> I'm like, all right, no big deal. <laughs> Needless to say, <laughs> those dates never got made up. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty ugly. And I always say this, man, like, as far as TNA is concerned, um, I never understood people that wished ill to the company. Oh, I hope they right. go out of business. Like, that's fucking stupid. The industry needs a TNA or Impact Wrestling. Agreed. And, and you know, people work there, man. People feed their families. Like, I like, I don't, I never understood that mentality. I don't like orange soda. I don't wish for Sunkiss to go out of business. I just don't drink orange soda. That's it. Yeah. You know? I just used to and, be, I just used to get mad and frustrated and just wish, I didn't wish uh, ill, I wished for them just to do the right thing for the uh, when it came to their talent, you know, and how they treated yeah, talent, I agree. man. And, and this is what I've said all along, man. You know, as far as they were concerned, they were just plagued by bad management for so many years, man. You know, like Dixie does not have a clue, and you know, she it was one of those things where it was like the emperor's new clothes. She just surrounded herself with people that would go, yeah, yeah, Dixie, that's great. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, the talent suffered and, and the production crew stuff were suffered. But uh, I'm interested in seeing what happens now because Me they've too. got new ownership. Jeff Jarrett is, is, is back in the chair, driving the car, as I understand it. And, you know, I'm not exactly certain, but I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that TNA at its most successful was under Jeff Jarrett. Yes. So I, I'm, I'm hoping he's able to turn that around and, and, and get that engine running again because it, it's just good for wrestling, period. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I I want to see I want to see it do well, and, and Jeff knows what's up. I, I'm, I've always like I've always loved Jeff as far as um, well. I love working with him, but I always just really respected uh, his his business acumen and, and as far as you know the wrestling industry. He's just smart, you know. And it, it, it's easy to take a guy like that for granted until he's gone. Yeah, yeah. I don't agree with everything he's ever done, trust me. But, I mean, shit, people can say that about me all day long. Oh, people can say that about all of us. Exactly. You know? like no, no one's mistake-free. No one's, you know, no one has everything down completely, you know, people. And, and you know, it's funny. One of the things you said made me laugh Uh about you know things you did that you regret, but you know you're, you're not full of regrets. And I'm sure. like, man, you gotta live a life full of regrets. You have to. You have to go do some shit that you you regret. Yeah. Because if you don't, then what kind of life did you live? That means you never took a risk. That means you never went out there. That means you never said fuck it. I'm gonna do something that I want to do. 
And sometimes that shit will blow up in your face, but it builds character, you know, as, as long as it's not too bad, you know. But ultimately, like, live, yeah, have some regrets because it's better to regret the things you did than the things you didn't. As long as you, as long as you feel bad about them eventually, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, that, that's just me. That's how I feel about it. As long as you learn the lesson, yeah, you know, you, you know. move forward. Yeah, if you come away with a lesson, you know, and you go, hey, I regret that happened, but, you know, I'm, I'm a better person for it. You know, then, all right, cool. Yeah, I hope and, people. Yeah, I hope people forgive when you me. Hurt other people, of course. Yeah. That's a little different. And I hope they forgive me, uh, man, because I forgive everyone that's done shit to me, and that's the truth. I, I honest to God, I forgive everyone. I get, man, you gotta say teach that. me how to do that, man. I, I, I have problems with that shit, like sure. holding on to shit. I yeah. haven't learned how to let shit go. I, I still got beef with people from junior high school, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, dude, I'm not bullshitting, you man. There's there a couple bro. dudes from junior high school. If I saw them right now today, I'd walk up to them and say, hey, motherfucker, remember me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. With uh, WWE, obviously, is always considered the number one company. And for a while, TNA was considered number two. With TNA having the, their issues they're having now in like Ring of Honor, growing a bigger fan base and getting more national exposure and now all these new japan guys getting on tv and wwe and exposing like that universe to other wrestling outside of it who do you think and with lucha underground who do you think has the potential to come in and be that number two company oh wow potential to be the number two company that's an interesting question uh i would say that if Jeff Jarrett can somehow, and I have no idea what's going on, you know, over there, but if Jeff Jarrett could somehow get Impact back on Spike, and from what I understand, I think Impact is on Spike in England. Yes. If if he can get Spike back on, if he can get Impact back on Spike here domestically, then I think that automatically uh, puts them back in the number two spot. Uh, with viewership and I mean primarily with viewership because that TV slot that they had for so long on Spike was I think the second highest rated show on Spike for a long time so um, with with ROH you know I don't think the deal that they've got with Sinclair I don't think Sinclair from what I've read and heard um, is willing to make the kind of investment in ROH that you would need to take that second spot um for a while i was really excited to see what lucha underground was doing um but i think el rey network as awesome as it is uh it just doesn't give enough well i don't know now they're on netflix too so maybe that might help but in terms of again of, of brand saturation um, I, wwe at one point when i was there i remember the number they put out is that they were seen in 50 million households worldwide. Per week, yeah. Weekly. Yeah. Like, you know, number two is such a distant number two that, you know, how important is it? Hey, how do you... I've noticed... Uh, well, it's obvious to me. I've been uh, I've been saying this for, for a while. Uh, you know, for, for, for years, people, like, you know the older guys, my age, old, our age, older. Uh, wrestling's dead. This shit nowadays. You know that all, all that stuff. Wrestling's pretty damn healthy and, and pretty damn good right now, man. I think wrestling's great right now. There's definitely been a resurgence, and 
you know, with the, yeah, you know, now that I've been working the Indies and, you know, my calendar stays full, I'm going all over the place and I'm seeing like, you know, there is a very healthy resurgence of pro wrestling going over to England. Like last time I was over there, man, uh, Stephen Flutter from PCW, Preston City, told me there's like a hundred and something wrestling companies. There's two hundred. There's there's actually uh, like two hundred. Okay, that, yeah. That so, do so, well. So, that do well, man. Well, I mean, way too many, but <laughs> just the same. Um, yeah, but they all yeah, stick to their I mean, own. The they all stick that, to their own area. They all stick to their own area. They all work with each other, all the promoters, and for the most part, and they all get along. Well, one of the things I loved about it is, like, you know, this last tour I did, you know, they have, like, the little community centers or the, or the drinking clubs. That's right, yeah. And, man, it just, the, 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 to be honest, the atmosphere, everything is so close, and the people are they're just there to have a good time. The yeah. banter and the singing. and They're not there and, to tell you you fucked up. <laughs> yeah, right, they're not chanting yeah. you fucked up, you know, or they're not sitting on their hands, like, entertain me, you know. They, yeah. they can't have fun. And man, I love it. And one of the things I always stress, like when I go over there and I'll do seminars or whatnot, if you live in England and you're a professional wrestler and you've worked hard and you've built a name for yourself, you, there are enough companies over there that you can make a living as a professional wrestler. In oh, England. Without a doubt. Without, with, yeah, without being signed to a contract, if you've worked hard enough to get your name out there, there are enough promotions running on a regular basis that you're not going to be rich, but you can do what you love and pay your bills doing it and actually make a living as a professional. You can't do that here in the States. The guys are starting like, to do it well, more, though. Guys are starting. I know guys here in the States, uh, independent guys, that this is all they do now. That, and I, and, well, you know what? Yeah, for a very select group of guys. It's a small handful of guys that have enough national notoriety via internet, you know, YouTube or whatnot, that they can actually make a living on the indies. And kudos to them. That's yeah. awesome because, you know, shit, I remember when I was coming up, that's all I wanted to do. If I could just, you know, travel the country and, you know, work and work shows and make enough money that and I could pay my bills, fuck, that's all I wanted. That's it, man. Yes, because then you can say, I'm a full-time pro wrestler. This is what I do and that's I am all a I pro do. Wrestler. I, yes. I wrestle professionally for a living. But but then again, you're also the Ronin. I am. I serve no master. Yeah, explain that. Um, <laughs> How that came about for those with you. Who, for those who are not familiar, uh, the term Ronin uh, comes from feudal Japan, and it's, it describes a masterless samurai. A samurai whose master was disgraced or maybe was killed in battle, so he has no one to serve. Um, Miyamoto Musashi, probably the most famous samurai in history, um, he was a ronin, and he just wandered the countryside looking for duels. And it's it's amazing that you know you can look and he historically documented um, he had several duels and never lost one. And uh, just I'm such a fan of Japanese history and culture and feudal Japan and and the whole uh, you know way Bushido, you know, sure. that I kind of saw those similarities and, and me and the world of pro wrestling, like, yeah, I, I, I'm not contractually obligated to anyone. I serve no master. I don't, you know, I don't serve the president of New Japan. I don't serve Vince. I don't, you know, um, I call my own shots and I just kind of wander the country 
looking for challenges inside of a wrestling match <laughs> in the wrestling ring. I'm, I'm the, the Ronin of pro wrestling. Um, you know, I got my, my ghetto strong style and, and, uh, and you're recording well, artist I, as well. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Not, yeah. I can't right. say that because yeah. I heard your shit and it's dope. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's funny because people ask me, hey, man, what about your music career? I'm like, no, that never was a music career. It's a hobby. It's just something I really like to do. And, you know, periodically I, I you know, write music and, or write, you know, it's hip hop, you know, so I'll find tracks that I like and, you know, I'll write lyrics and I'll record it and I'll release it. And I, I do it for fun because if it was a job, I wouldn't want to do it. You know, if I had deadlines and all that shit, I'll fuck that. I don't want to do it. So I heard in an interview recently you want to start a hardcore band. This is true. I'm, I'm actually working on that. Is that like in the works? Are you making that happen? Will that be a hobby as well? Or is that something you're going to put more effort into and make it more than a hobby and more like people are saying your hip hop career where it's like, oh, you're a musician. You're a this, and you're like, no, that's a hobby. You mean a hardcore band like as in like uh, body count? Type, like that? Uh, like a, a hardcore band and more like, a, like sick of it all. Oh, uh, okay. Got you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, body count, but um, just more traditional, old school hardcore. When uh, when I was a teenager, you know, I, I, musically I've always liked whatever appeals to me. I like very eclectic rock, musical I like taste. I like jazz. I like hip hop. Yes. So if I like it, you know, I don't get caught up in oh, I only listen to this kind of music, or oh, I don't listen to that kind of music. That's just not me. And as a teenager. I used to work with this guy, Wes, that he used to give me a ride home from work, and he used to play, like, all the old-school, hardcore, um, you know, uh, back then it was, like, MDC and Black Flag and Angry Samoans. Rollins, man. Oh, what shit. Rollins, man, wasn't even out yet. He was still with Black Flag back then. Wow. Um, so, riding with him, we used to get in, actually talk shit, because at that time I was all public enemy and Eric B and Rockham. Yeah. And he turned me on to this group called Bad Brains. And Bad Brains are your favorite rockers, favorite rockers. They are like the godfathers of punk in the United States. And, and these dudes are black block rosters from Washington, D.C. And they came and just fuck, fucked the whole scene up. And racially, that connected with me, you know, Black Rock, and these guys were just amazing. And then I got turned on to Fishbone, and then uh, actually the cassette tape that he gave me, and this was in 87, on one side it had Bad Brains, and on the other side it had the Red Hot Chili Peppers Uplift Mofo Party playing. And at that point, there was no such thing as alternative music. Like, no one knew what a Red Hot Chili Pepper was if it wasn't on the plate. And, um, but I fell in love with all this music and then I started going to shows and shit. And when I was in prison, long before I ever jumped to becoming a pro wrestler, I wrote songs, hardcore. And you know, I, I envisioned myself as kind of like the black Henry Rollins. I saw myself on stage with the mic cord wrapped around my hand and some black short song with no shirt and you know, just railing against the government and injustice. And, and uh, I, I still have some of those songs. I found him in a notebook that I was going through some shit. And um, my buddy Alex from the Gaslight Anthem heard me on the Sam Roberts podcast talking about starting a hardcore band. And he was like, dude, let's do it. And I said, just like that? It was just like that. So 
uh, he was trying to find the other members, and we finally got together a little collective of guys that we think uh, this is the right mix. And uh, the only holdup has been Alex. He, he had a baby, and he opened up the Jimmy John's, and he just got a lot of shit going on. But um, it's finally going to come to fruition. I can't say exactly when, but at this point, you know, we pretty much got it narrowed down. I've got, you know, we, we just got to get music and, and lyrics and record. And when that happens, dude, I can tell you that, you know, wrestling at, at the Tokyo Dome was just, I can't even explain to you how exhilarating that was. Um, wrestling Benoit, WrestleMania was like surreal. But my dream of standing on a stage fronting a band predates any aspirations of being a pro wrestler by years and years. So if I ever get the chance to step on stage and tour on a festival, or if I get to go and play some fucking sweatbox club with 150 people crammed in there just to see my band, that for me would be like my single personal greatest achievement um, in terms of you know goals and aspirations, because this is something that I dreamed of doing back when I was in prison, and it looks like it's finally coming together. Nice. Hey. You're, you know, this guy that that's talking to us right now about, you know, hardcore, you know, Black Flag, all this stuff. Also, one of the biggest Steely Dan bands I've ever met in my life. <laughs> yeah, baby. I might, I might be the Steely Dan fan. No, I mean, I'm a fan, but not anywhere near close to you, man. That's, I, I love that. Yeah, no. I, dude, I, I love the band. Uh, I've seen them live like four times. I've taking trips just to go see him. I've seen him in New York. I've seen him in Oregon. I've seen him in Seattle. <laughs> like, yeah. And, yeah. All, and also... I'm a fan of the band. And you seem to be pretty stoked when we uh, when we took the picture at the Lemmy statue at the Rainbow when you were hanging out with me over there. Fuck yeah, I'm over there. Like, dude, I love music. Yeah, man. You know, and it's weird. Like, if you ask me, what's your favorite band? Like, dude, that's... I have favorite bands. Yeah. So you know we could we could listen to, to Motorhead and then go from Motorhead straight to Parliament. From Parliament we could go to fucking James Brown. From James Brown we could go across the street and hit Steely Dan. Catch back up with fucking Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get, get some Ghostface Killer and Wu Tang in there. Nice. You know I, I'm all over the place. Man, hey, there's so many things I can still ask you about for everyone, but I mean it's we're pushing an hour and a half right now. All right, so. I'm gonna let you go, man. I really, really appreciate you spending the uh, the time with us. But before that, Jimbo, you hey, you guys want to uh, let let him have it with a few questions? Well, there are things that I want you to talk about that I know you have. Like you're working on opening up your own bar. You want to get into motivational speaking, being a dad, uh, working on your book. If you want to tell us a little bit about that, and then I have a couple questions that I might toss in. After or? all right, well, yeah, I, I, I'll knock those out real quick. Yes, uh, it's my goal to open and own a bar. Uh, I keep having to push that back because it's all self finance It's just going to be me. I won't have any partners. So uh, I'm taking my time so I can cross every T, dot every I, do it right. Um, I, in, in a perfect world, my bar will open sometime next year, but I'm not pushing it. Um, I'm a dad, never wanted kids. And I had an, an, an oops, and that oops turned out to steal my heart. That little amazing. guy is just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Beautiful kid, smart, and he's changed me. He's made me a better man. Yeah, he has. Uh, let me see. Well, what else was it? We got the bar. We got the. You're uh, working on a book? Oh, the book. 
Yeah, um, I haven't started my autobiography yet. That's uh, that's one that I want to get. But right now, I'm in the early stages of uh, shopping a book that is basically um, a collection of stories from my time in prison. Memories of, of shit I did, guys I hung out with, shit I saw. And, um, you know, I passed a few of the chapters around, let a few people read them, and they went, holy shit, dude, this is real? I said, yeah, this is straight, it's fun. All, the names have been changed to protect the innocent, but just some recollections, recollections from from my time on the inside. Um, what else was there? The book, motivational like speaking. You want to get uh, into yeah, motivational speaking? That's something speaking. Uh, I've, I've been fortunate. I've had a few opportunities to do that, you know. Um, but it was just volunteer stuff. I'm hoping in the very near future, and it'll probably get easier, you know, once once I, I become an author and you know do a few other things, but. Um, yeah, I would like to become a paid motivational speaker. And, uh, you know, I, I, there, I still volunteer sometimes, and I'll do stuff uh, for at-risk youth, juvenile delinquents, ex-convicts. Um, I had the, the honor of being an honorary judge at the Huntsville prison debate where the, the inmates at the prison took on students from Texas A&M, and I got to be one of the judges. And the inmates beat the speech and debate team from Texas A&M. So that was a proud moment for me, and I got to go up and, and give a speech and, you know, hopefully motivate some of those convicts. Um, so stuff like that I will always do for free. But, you know, I remember years ago reading about Pat Riley getting $25,000 for a one-hour speech, and I thought, fuck, I'll take 10% of that to go talk for an hour if I can yeah. get that book on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. so, and then if your last name's Clinton, man, you can get like half a million dollars right. for an hour, right? Yeah. I yeah. couldn't I couldn't imagine. I heard that the other day. I was like, what does he talk about? Anissa, you have any questions? Um, I have one question. Um, I didn't know you were such a, you know, rock guy. We never expect you like punk rock. Um, um, fun question. Uh, have you ever seen Rancid? Uh, yeah, I'm actually pretty cool with Lars. Yeah. CM Punk. Yeah. yeah. And another question I have I've is... I've seen Rapid and I've seen the Old Firm Casuals as well. Yeah. I have an Old Firm Casuals t-shirt. Nice. Another question is, when you went to Japan, did you feel like when you walked in, did you feel like, wow, I, I finally accomplished what I always wanted to accomplish? Did that feel good? Or like, what did you feel when you first walked in? Good is an understatement. When I first literally... Know, went through the airport and they picked me up and you know brought me to the building I remember just like my you don't understand like since I was a child I've always had a fascination with Japan um I think because when I was a kid I actually read James Clavell's Shogun oh yeah and then they turned it into to a miniseries with Richard Gere and uh, not Richard Gere uh Richard Chamberlain uh, Chamberlain, thank yeah. you, Richard Chamberlain, the king of the miniseries back in the day. Um, and I, I think from that point on, like, I was done. Like, just Japan fascinated me. And then, you know, the anime culture, the cartoons, the toys, like, all my favorite toys came from Japan. Fucking Transformers are Japanese, you know? Um, fuck, Speed Racer was the first anime any of us ever saw. We Ultraman. Ultraman. I love that. Ultraman. But Ultraman is not anime. That's a show. Yeah, but it's but, still but again, it's I Japanese. I loved it. It was from Japan. Godzilla yeah. from Japan. All that shit. Yeah. yeah. So to answer your question, getting there and walking around and actually 
being in Tokyo and, you know, just, it, it was overwhelming. It is, I, man. I was beside myself with how much I loved it. And, um, it's like the, you're in a different uh, world, man. You are on a, it's almost it like is, you're on a it different really planet. Is, man. It's, it's, it's insane. It's a completely, it's, it's so surreal. The buildings are um, different. The, the toilets. I mean, you, you ever, <laughs> hey, you know the deal about the toilets, right? Did anybody smarten you up to put in the, the turning the folding chair on its side to sit on that when you have to use the Japanese toilet? What? I, I, the entire time in Japan, I used the Japanese toilet. Then you just squatted. And that one time, yeah, no, I did. No. Anyways, <laughs> I said I'll never do that shit again because my knee was killing me. Yeah. Now you take a folding chair <laughs> and you put it on its side, and then you sit on the legs, and then you got all that space, space. for it for it to drop from your butt. And <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to squat. squat. Yeah. Uh, that guy, John Anderson, strong man. Oh, yes. Like 300 pounds at 6% body. Yes. And, like, he ate constantly. Like, he'd come down to the buffet for breakfast and put, like, a dozen eggs in his pocket to take to the room. And he was always shitting. Like, his body yes. was just constantly processing food. And uh, he went to use the, 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 the Japanese toilet and missed completely. And the poor young boys had to clean that shit up. <laughs> Goldberg was on Edge and Christian's uh, pod, uh, first episode of his of their podcast, and he said he shits like 20 times a day oh, man. right now because he eats so much, so many times a day. Yeah, when you're that big, yeah. having to feed all that muscle mass, yeah, your body's just, all it's doing is constantly processing food. That's all it's ever But doing. it keeps your metabolism speedy as hell, and, and it keeps you lean. So... Yeah, that that's true. That's yeah. true. I'm gonna say this though, man. You guys ever see that movie Lost in Translation? Bill Murray. Bill Murray. And uh, oh. Scarlett Johansson. Oh, that's oh, yeah, I was yeah. like Black Widow. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that was one of my favorite movies before I ever got a chance to go to Japan. And after having been to Japan several times, that movie takes on brand new meaning. Uh, especially the scenes with Bill Murray and the interpreter and shit, like it was hysterical. But the bar, I'm pretty sure that's the uh, the Hyatt in Shinjuku. And me and Loki, who's a very good friend of mine, he's like a brother to me. Um, we 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 came up together. We were friends like all the way back. We met at at a South Florida indie show. Stayed in touch through the years, <clears throat> and we finally got to be on a Tokyo Dome a Wrestle Kingdom show together. And we had arranged the office to stay for a week after the Tokyo Dome. And we just went bouncing around Tokyo and just hanging out. But we went to the uh, the quote-unquote Lost in Translation bar. Yeah. And all the way up on the top floor, drinking 30-year-old Hibiki, toasting like, dude, we did it. We're here. We made it. And, you know, and for all of the accomplishments to be able to share that moment with one of your boys who had the same aspirations, same goals, and you could sit up there and drink $100 a glass scotch and toast and go like, fuck yeah, we're here, man. Yeah, that doesn't suck at all. No, not even at all, Definitely man. not. Come pie. Yeah, yeah. come pie. Awesome. Well, man, I, I'm so grateful, like I said earlier, man, that, that, uh, that you would give us your time like this, man. And, hey, so... Tell us how to get a hold of you, how to reach you uh, for bookings, and tell us about the VIP Lounge. Okay, yeah, I have a podcast as well. Um, 
been doing it for a little while now with uh, Alex Greenfield, a.k.a. Greeny. He was a former head writer for SmackDown. And um, it's called The VIP Lounge. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, Audioboom, MLW.com uh, every week. I-, I like to call it the wrestling podcast for the intelligent mark, not the smart mark. Because... Yeah, we talk about wrestling, and then sometimes we talk about movie and current events and movies. And you know, we just—it's not just strictly a wrestling podcast. I you know, I spread it around a little bit and try to cover some other interesting topics. And uh, we're not slaves to the guest. You know, sometimes it's just me and Alex, and then other times we do have guests. Like in the very near future, we will have the infamous X Pac. Yeah, you will. Um, uh, I'm on Twitter at the three hundred five MVP. I'm on Instagram at truly underscore MVP. Um, my Facebook is uh, Montel Vontavious Porter official or officially MVP, something like that. It's a sad page. Um, if uh, you want to hear some of the tunes that uh, X5 was talking about that I've done, I have a, a band camp. It's MVP305 uh, uh, slash bandcamp.com some of the songs you can download for free some it might cost you a dollar but go have a listen and if you would like to book me for your wrestling event for an appearance motivational speaking uh, i am also an ordained cleric with the church of the latter-day dude i like to call myself a dudist monk and in many states i am actually ordained to perform weddings and i only charge White Russians, if you want to fly me out. Wow. Nice. Get a hold of me at <laughs> bookmvpnow at gmail.com. Bookmvpnow at gmail.com for bookings. And uh, that's about the gist of it, brother. Very nice, man. Again, thank you so much, man. And uh, once again, everyone, a true renaissance man and professional wrestling right here, MVP. Thank you so much, bro. Yeah, thank you awesome for man. all your stories and all your time. We really appreciate it. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Peace. Nice. What? Amazing. Yeah, man, that time flew. I always say this, too, at the end of the interview when I talk to a friend of mine. Oh, my God, the time flew. I didn't even realize, you know. Because it's literally you just catching up with your friends. Yeah. Has it been two hours, an hour and a half? What's it been? 145. Wow. All right. Well, let's take a break right now, and then we'll come back and close the show. Sounds good. All right. We'll be right back, everyone. Hey guys, Maria Menounos here. We want to let you know about my new show on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. It's called Conversations with Maria, and it's live Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Go to conversationswithmaria.com for more info. Buzz you later. We're back here on X-Pac 12360. That was a really uh, in-depth interview with my man MVP. As crazy as all our interviews are, they are always... Packed with so much information, and there's always still so much more that we didn't even scratch the surface on. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there is a lot. And and you know, I I wanted to get a lot of things. I wanted to cover a lot of uh, a lot of ground. So I didn't get into specifics on on some things, like you know, yeah. uh, his past as far as what he did to end up in prison. Because I'm pretty sure he's talked about that. Yeah, he, you know, quite a bit. You know, he robbed like that's a, right, a cruise line. Point. Yeah, yeah, things like that. So, uh, it's a it's a story of redemption too. Yeah, you know it I really mean, is. Yes, because and I didn't even get into the fact that he's like, you know, gotten into uh, no gi Brazilian jiu jitsu. Yeah, and is like 
world class at that. I was gonna say he's probably a bad dude. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he won. He won like the first the first uh, tournament. He that's I didn't even I didn't even get a chance to ask him that. That's the thing. He's got such a storied past yeah. in career. When he mentioned that he was writing a book, I was I was like Imagine I would love one. to hear his life yeah. story. And then he's like, no, nah, it's just stories of crazy stuff that happened in prison. And even that, I'm I'm super into it. This this was an awesome show. I loved it. Cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it, Mark. Hey, thanks, Sean. <laughs> we well, can all go home happy yes. now. Yes, but uh, before we do that, is there anything else you want to add, Jim? Well, Bo, Jim, Bo. For all you wrestling fans that will be attending WrestleMania this week, there's a lot going on, but at the top of your list should be the Click Reunion. Uh, we have the poster that Rob Schlemberger painted for this, that if you're uh, one of the top tier members, you get this poster autographed by all the members of the Click. Who painted that? Rob Schlemberger. Is it Schlemberger or Schamberger? Schamberger. Schamberger. My bad. Yeah, it is Jimbo. Damn it! Uh, but this is such an amazing poster. Isn't that? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It's You know what? Try being the one that, like, somebody's made a painting of you like that. I mean, it's... You see something like that, and okay, it's not just at me, but I'm in it, Yeah, and uh, it's pretty cool. It's somebody took a lot of time that has a ton of talent to make something like that that you're on. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It has all of like your mannerisms and everything. Like yeah. I can look at that, and I see you coming out on Raw that night, throwing up suckets. Throwing up suckets. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so that should be number one on your list. April 1st, uh, the Click Reunion. Handle that. Also, Sunday at Access, Sean will be signing autographs from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. at the Snickers booth. So if you want to meet Sean, tell him how much you love Xbox 12360 and how amazing his abs are, go there and visit him. That's, at, that's WrestleMania Day on Sunday. WrestleMania Day at Sunday at yeah. Access, yes. Yes, I hope hope you all attend and future events down the line we have the icons of pro wrestling in philly it's a wrestling convention sean will be there signing autographs on april 22nd i think i'm there with the guys from two-man power trip is that how you put it is that how is that what it's called mark it's a it's a podcast uh i'm not familiar with them yeah well anyways yeah it's uh, done. I and, thought I'd give them a shout out. And APW on May sixth at the Cow Palace, and you'll actually be wrestling in a tag I'll be match. In a tag match. I don't know. Wait, a it's a rumble. A rumble. I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't be freaking <laughs> false advertising me for no damn tag matches, he's Jimbo. Re- he's rebooking you. Shit. Yeah. No, that should be great. What do we have there uh, for the main event? Joey Ryan versus, versus Cody Rhodes in a cage, yes. I believe. Yeah. And I saw Morrison. We'll be there. I saw him on the poster as well. It was great to see him the other night. Yeah, yeah. Was he excited to see you? Uh, I was. Well, he's just he's just always really cool, really laid back cat, and he's got a lot going on that we could talk about later. Yeah, he'll be a future guest on yeah, our podcast. Absolutely, hundred percent. So. He already he asked me. Oh yeah. Yes, and I was like, man, I would have asked you already, but I didn't want to bother you. <laughs> That's how I am. And really, I. You just really appreciate everyone's time. I do, because I know how valuable it is. I know people might get sick of hearing it, but trust me, when you get older, you'll freaking you'll know exactly what I mean. So is there anything you're really looking forward to this weekend at WrestleMania? I'm just looking forward to seeing my friends. And my mom. My mom, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so awesome. Yeah, I haven't seen her in a long time. And, uh, no excuse for that shit. So uh, I asked her to come to WrestleMania. That's so cool. Yeah. Is she going to hang out with you She's throughout like, the out. whole weekend? That's right. Me, Ron Funches is coming too. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so And cool. we'll talk about my party, our 
the party with with Ron, Ron and I. Yeah, when when that yeah, comes, when WrestleMania is over. Yeah, totally. All righty, I love it. Um, well, this has been this episode of Xbox One Two Three Sixty, episode thirty already. And next next episode, <laughs> we do not have a guest, but we'll be recapping all Sean's festivities from the WrestleMania weekend and the Click reunion and all of that. So definitely stay tuned for that. Anissa, where can they find you? Uh, well, they could find me at all social media uh, that's out there, at Anissa Bar on Instagram and um, Twitter. All right. Very cool. All right, everyone. Well, until next week, thank you very much for joining us right here on XPOC 12360. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, Kevin Undergaro, show producer Jimbo Frank, managing editor of AfterBuzz Wrestling, Christy Olson, and managing producer of AfterBuzz Wrestling, Mark Bidonica, and the entire XPOC 12360 staff. We would like to thank you for tuning in. Feel free to like us on Facebook, rate and comment on iTunes and YouTube. Follow XPOC on Twitter at TheRealXPOC and email us at xpoc12360show at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the AfterBuzz TV Network. Buzz you later!